Hello, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the TriStar Gym channel. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Finally, today is the day, ladies and gentlemen. Check your calendars. It's a miracle. We're actually going to do this video that I promised you guys for so many years. Well, actually, so many months. I know, actually, I talked about it a couple of years ago, but I said I never committed to doing it. I committed to doing it a few months ago, and you guys kept asking me, kept asking me. And here it is today. Guys, give me a thumbs up. Make sure that I'm not talking to myself here. No. Testing, testing. Please tell me there's a sound. There's got to be sound. <laughs> All right, guys. I am on. I'm. I, I. From what I'm seeing, my sound is on. Yes. Thank you for the thumbs up. Loud and clear off. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Okay, guys. I promised you this video months and months ago. I promised it. You guys kept asking for it. I promise that this is an MMA channel. I'm trying to keep it all about MMA all the time. But once in a while, we're going to slip in a philosophy episode. We're going to have some fun with it just to make sure we're not too much uh, too much of a group of meatheads. Okay, it's a little... I know some of you guys really, really like this and some of you guys don't like it. For those who don't like it, you can tune out or, or get a little extra philosophy in today. And I promise you that I have a way with philosophy that's very unique, very different, and hopefully it's going to translate to uh, an entertaining episode. Okay. What are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about, we're going to be talking about a conversation that happened um, years ago. I believe it's years ago between Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson. They couldn't agree on a definition for truth. They could not agree on it, what it means for something to be true. Now, there's a lot to be said, a lot to be unpacked. I'm going to do that in the video. I'm not going to talk about it just now, but a few little ground rules. Okay. We're going to have fun in this episode. Hopefully, hopefully it's not boring. Hopefully it'll be entertaining. The number one most important thing when we're having discussions is we need to all, as a group, try. I'm encouraging you all to avoid dogmatism. What is dogmatism? I believe what I believe in. That's it. Nobody can convince me otherwise. Everything I know is true. Everything I believe is true. It's common sense. And what you believe is dumb and stupid. It has, makes no sense whatsoever. This is dogmatism. Okay, There's nothing you can do to convince me. I will never change my mind. I'm not even listening to you when you talk. I can hear you, but I'm not really listening. Okay. And philosophy, you have to be a good listener. We have to cross-examine every claim. We got to look at it from 360 degrees up from underneath, from on top, from inside, from outside. We have to cross-examine it every which way possible. And if in the end it holds true, we have to accept it no matter what the conclusion. No matter what the conclusion. If you don't give me sufficient evidence, I could believe it. Or I can drop it. But to know something, I have to have 100%, 100% certainty. Okay, we're going to talk about this a little bit during the video. But these two men are arguing now. What are they arguing about? They're arguing about how do you know something is true? Peterson says it's one way. Sam Harris says it's another. I'm going to start playing the video now. I advanced it about 20-something minutes in because the first part was kind of boring. They weren't really talking about the truth, about the definition of truth. But let's get it started, okay? Don't forget, guys, please... Let's keep this in a, in a good spirit, okay? No dogmatism, no, uh, you know, no head honchos. Let's just have a fun topic. I'm going to dissect their conversation. After I dissect their conversation, I'm going to open it up to comments and questions. But for a little bit, for a little while, it's just going to be me listening to their conversation, putting it out on the table. So don't start super chatting just yet, okay? I don't want you guys to waste any super chats because I'm going to try to avoid that early on, okay? When I start taking comments, if you want a super chat, you can, but don't go for it right away because I'm not going to be reading the comment section, all right? Okay, guys, here we go. Let's have some fun.
So, and those aims are not, if you are an admirer of Western culture, at least the good parts of Western culture, then you're the enemy of the postmodern slash neo-Marxists. They're opposed to absolutely everything you believe. We're going to get into that territory, I would imagine, by another route. So I don't think there's more to say here, because I think we probably agree about everything. I'm obviously not a lawyer. I'm certainly not a Canadian lawyer. So if there's any way in which we're getting some of the legal details wrong, I offer a blanket apology. But it, but in terms of the belief that biology doesn't significantly determine gender or sex, Guys, I have no idea why my video is frozen. I'm going to refresh the page. Hopefully it fixes that, but uh, I have no idea why my video just froze. I hope you guys can still hear me. Maybe this episode was just never meant to be. Maybe I'm off the hook. Okay, should be video now. Hopefully I can see my own video working now. So um, guys, we're talking about Peterson versus Sam Harrison. What is truth? We had a rocky start, a couple of glitches. Hopefully this turns out to be a great episode. All right, guys, I'm pushing play again. All right, not frozen. Okay, good. Loud and clear. Here we go. Sexuality or the wisdom and utility of inventing new identities and demanding that everyone keep track of them in perpetuity. I mean, I think you and I more or less totally overlap there. So I, I think we should just move on. No, you this. better not. You better not come to Canada and have that discussion. Yeah. Then. yeah. Well, I mean, it's just it's been bizarre to see some of these encounters you've been having, but it's this is why you're, you you've suddenly become. Okay, right here, guys. We're just talking about Jordan Peterson in Tor Toronto. I believe he teaches in Toronto. He's been bit, being attacked by um, leftists that are saying, "Look, you got to call us by these are, are these particular pronouns." He he took a stand, and I think now Sam Harris is kind of like congratulating him or encouraging him. I'm not sure exactly what Sam Harris's position is, but they're not talking about the truth yet. That's coming up real close, real soon. So let me just see if I could bump it up. I just fast forwarded a little bit, and let's see uh, where we are. Your interest in mythology your fear of nihilism. Let's get into all of that. I think you and I share some fundamental concerns and we feel a similar kind of urgency. I think it expresses itself in slightly different ways and different ways of talking, but we, we feel an urgency that our fellow human beings get certain questions right. But I, I think we probably disagree about some fundamental matters and whether those will be in the end, a matter of semantic difference and can be pushed to the periphery or not, I think that remains to be seen. But I think it will be interesting to talk about these things. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, huh. one of the things that I thought I might do is pursue the tack that you're not enough of a Darwinian, which I thought would be quite comical um, because I've often thought the same about Richard Dawkins. But I would like to point out some of the things, because I've read I, I've read a fair bit of what you've written now, um, it's not by no means comprehensively, but I think uh, I've come to understand your, your central claims, and of course they're very powerful because you're an advocate for materialist rationalism, essentially, I would say, with a bit of spirituality on the side. And Okay, you just referred to Sam Harris, Sam Harris as a materialist rationalist. Now, what is a materialist? Now, if I put 100 materialists in a room, they won't all agree on the definition, okay? But generally speaking, the vast majority of them will agree that everything can be broken down to physics and chemistry. There's this substance out there that they call material, 
Okay, it's an abstract idea. They believe that everything in the universe is made up of this material. And in the classical way of thinking of materialism, they say it's material and the void. There's atoms and the void. Now we don't use the word atoms anymore. We'll probably say elementary particles and the void. Okay, the, the language has changed. But in for the Greeks, originally, it was the atoms and the void. Because they the atoms means undivisible. Can't be any smaller. Nothing could be any smaller than an atom. Now, of course, uh, modern science disproved that later on. Okay, this is Democrates. He thought nothing could be smaller than atom. Atom just means something that's indivisible. You can't break it down any further. Today, they would probably say elementary particles and the void. Now, they wouldn't They wouldn't even necessarily say the void. Einstein, you know, Einstein's telling us that space and time is a thing. But nonetheless, materialism has evolved over the years. They've refined their beliefs. But in the end, they believe that everything can be reduced to, to physics and chemistry and to this substance they call material. And then uh, Jordan Peterson says, look, you're a, you're a materialist, rationalist, so he believes in logic, but you have a bit of spirit, spirituality on the side. That's interesting. This is how Jordan Peterson sees Sam Harris. This is, he, this is Jordan Peterson defining Sam Harris's view. Now, this is not Jordan Peterson's worldview. Let's see what Peterson's worldview is. You know, materialist rationalism is an unbelievably powerful tool, and it's very coherent. And so, you know, I, I, I address the topic with trepidation because, you know, it was certainly the case that the, the philosophical doctrine to which you adhere has transformed the world and has posed an unbelievably potent threat, let's say. That's one way of challenge. That's better to traditional views of the world. So, but there are some things that, that, we share in common that maybe we could start with. So, and you tell me if, if I've got any of this wrong. I think a good starting point is this, it actually leads directly into this claim about not being Darwinian enough, but it, it's the concept of truth. I've heard you say in a variety of ways that religious truth isn't scientific truth. And that the difference here is that science tells you what things are and that religion tells you how you should act. So let's talk about that, and I think that does connect to this Darwinian concern of yours. Yeah, that's a good, that, well, um, I'm going to approach that obliquely to begin with. So so let me throw a couple of propositions at you, and, and I know that you don't accept Hume's distinction between an is and an ought, you know, that you're willing to challenge that, and like, fair enough, you know. Um, it's a reasonable thing to try to challenge, although it's quite difficult, but but that doesn't mean it's impossible. But I've been thinking a lot about the essential philosophical contradiction between a Newtonian worldview, which I would say your view is nested inside, um, and a Darwinian worldview, because those views are not the same. There's now Peterson's making a, a difference between Newtonian worldview and a Darwinian worldview. What is a Newtonian worldview? Well, that's more, like generally speaking, it's referring to the atoms and the void materialism and the void okay inanimate matter colliding with each other in the universe and they're colliding with each other in these, these particular laws particularly the three laws of motion okay they're colliding in a predictable manner in a newtonian world it's very predictable and he's saying look i'm more darwinian you're more newtonian and i'm more darwinian 
let's see, let's see how he develops this idea. They're seriously not the same. I mean, Dar the Darwinian view, as the American pragmatists recognized, so that was William James and his crowd, recognized almost, almost immediately was a form of pragmatism. And the pragmatists claimed that the truth of a statement or process can only be adjudicated with regards to its efficiency with, with, in, in, attaining, in attaining its aim. And so their idea was that truths are always bounded because we're ignorant. And every uh, action that you undertake that's goal-directed has an internal ethic embedded in it. And the ethic is the claim that if what you do works, then it's true enough. And that's all you can ever do. And so, and what Darwin did, as far as the pragmatists were concerned, was to put forth the following proposition, which was that it was impossible for a finite organism to keep up with a multi-dimensionally transforming landscape, environmental landscape, let's say. And so the best that could be done was to generate random variants, kill most of them because they were wrong, and let the others that were correct enough live long enough to propagate, whereby the same process occurs again. So it's not like the organism is a solution to the problem of the environment. The, the organism is a very bad partial solution to an impossible problem. Okay, and the thing that the thing that about that is that you can't get outside that claim. Now, I can't see how you can get outside that claim if you're a Darwinian, because the Darwinian claim is that the only way to ensure adaptation to the uh, unpredictably transforming environment is through random mutation. Okay, I'm going to stop it right here because he just said so much. And I'm going to try to make it way simpler than he did because he, <laughs> I think you know he's a very intelligent guy, but it's, he's kind of pulling teeth here. He's saying, look, there's, there's Newtonian worldview and then there's the Darwinian worldview. But the thing is, he, I think he's making a slight error here. The Darwinian worldview only starts when there's life on the planet. If we have a single cell on the planet, even that, I think you need two cells. Okay, somebody correct me if I'm wrong here, some evolutionary biologist. I think you need two cells. You need some competition, the survival of the fittest. One of them has to be fitter than the other or fit enough to continue. But before there's a single cell, before there's any life, there's no Darwinian. There, there's no Darwinism. There's no Darwinian principles at all. It doesn't exist. Okay, uh, matter and the void have nothing to do with Darwinism. I think he's making a slight error here. I think if I think he would admit to it. I think he would. He would. If he heard himself speak, he, he would be like, "Hey, I misspoke." But then he goes on to say this. He's saying, "Look, truth is like Darwinism." This is what he's trying to say right now. He's saying, "Look, truth is." pragmatism pragmatism is a worldview we have in philosophy what's pragmatism if it works it's true if you believe in something and that something goes out there in the world and it works it fills your belly up it gives you shelter it uh, puts money in your bank account well guess what it's true or it's true enough he's gonna probably gonna say later it's true enough to continue to the next stage just like in darwinism if you're fit enough to survive you don't have to be the fittest as long as you're fit enough to reproduce, the next generation of your genetics will continue. So he's saying, look, truth is the same way. We never have access to truth. This is something in philosophy we call the egocentric predicament. This is what I think he's referring to. He's saying, look, you can never go outside it. 
You can never grow outside the system. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about something that's very complex, okay? Put it to you this way. We're all trapped inside of our bodies. We can never go outside of our bodies and experience truth directly. If our bodies, if our senses were different, if our vision was different, if our hearing was different, if our taste was different, if our sense of touch was different, if our five senses were different, if the way our body, pro if the way our body processes information was different, our reality of the world would be different. So he's saying, look, we can never go outside of our senses. This is a very, very popular topic in philosophy. Since we can never go outside of our body, since we can never get outside the egocentric predicament, we can never see how the world truly is. Like it's a complex topic. He's bringing up something that's very profound. It shows how what a well-educated human being is. So he's saying, look, the only thing will ever be true for us is pragmatism. What works? That's the only thing we should care about. This is what he's saying so far. He's relaying it back to pragmatism. So how are we going to know what's pragmatic? What works? Well, what helps us survive? That's true. I don't care if one plus one equals five. If, if that's what works, that's what works. I don't care about logic, he's saying. He's saying, I'm putting, I'm nesting logic inside pragmatism. First, what I care about is the end result. Did it help me go forward? If I made a technical mistake, but that helped me for some reason, helped me go forward, then that's ultimately true. He's nesting logic inside pragmatism. Pragmatism is the ultimate final say, has the ultimate final say. Was it a, a net profit? If so, that's how I see it as true. That's when I'll say something is true. Okay. Very interesting take. Um, more on that in a little bit. I'm going to talk some more. Essentially, and death, and that there is no truth claim whatsoever that can surpass that. And so then that brings me to the next point, if you don't mind, and then I'll shut up and let you and let you talk. Mm. So I was thinking about that, and I thought, thought about that for a long time. So it seems to me there's a fundamental contradiction between Darwin's claims and, and the Newton deterministic claim and the, and the materialist objective claim that science is true in some final sense. And so I was thinking of two things that I read. One was the attempt by the KGB back in the... Uh, in the late part of the 20th century to hybridize um, smallpox and Ebola and then aerosol it so it could be used on on you know for mass destruction and the thing is is that that's a perfectly valid scientific enterprise as far as I'm concerned it's an interesting problem um, you might say well you shouldn't divorce it from the surrounding politics well that's exactly the issue is how much it can be divorced and then and from what and then the second example is you know a scientist with any sense would say well you know our truths are incontrovertible let's look at the results and we could say well let's look at the hydrogen bomb you know if, if you want a piece of evidence that our theories about the subatomic structure of reality are accurate you don't really have to look much farther than a hydrogen bomb. It's a pretty damn potent demonstration. And so then I was thinking, well, imagine for a moment that the invention of the hydrogen bomb did lead to the outcome, which we were also terrified about in the during the Cold War, which would have been, for the sake of argument, either the total elimination of human life or perhaps the total elimination of life. Now, the latter possibility is quite unlikely, but the former one certainly wasn't beyond comprehension. 
And so then I would say, well, the proposition that the universe is best conceptualized as subatomic particles was true enough to generate a hydrogen bomb, but it wasn't true enough to stop everyone from dying. And therefore, from a Darwinian perspective, it was a insufficient pragmatic proposition and was therefore, in some fundamental sense, wrong. Wow. He's saying, look, you want to know atomic bombs work? Let me blow one up for you. Isn't that proof? Isn't that proof that atomic energy exists? But he says, if we detonated a bomb and it created a chain reaction that destroyed the entire world, then we would have been wrong. How he gets to there, it's, it's not pretty. He's saying, look, we'd be wrong because my standard is if it helps us move forward in life, if it's beneficial to us, that's what's true. That's what counts. Did you guys notice he's equivocating truth with benefit? If it benefits me, it's true. He took a word that we use very differently and he's now equivocating it to another word. I wouldn't say he's using the word true in the, in the natural sense, the, one, the, the way we always say it. It's in factual. Um, in philosophy, we have something called correspondence theory. Now, this is something I'm sure Sam Harris is going to jump on him with. Okay, He's going to tell him, look, truth is what corresponds to the world outside of us and within us. Okay, But truth has to correspond to something. Your claim has to correspond to something. If you're saying that the atomic bomb, let's say, let's say, for instance, we fire an atomic bomb and there was a fear that it will cause a chain reaction that will destroy the entire world. Let's say that did happen and every human being was dead. It would still hold true that atomic energy works, that atomic energy could destroy the world. It would still hold true to a correspondence theorist like me, like Sam Harris, but not to Peterson. Peterson's, Peterson's, Peterson is saying that, hey, if it harmed me, if it killed me, that's the, what was the incorrect, untrue answer. Now let's see how he could dig himself out of this hole because for me, he just dug himself into a heavy, heavy hole. He just kind of disproved uh, his own position. And perhaps it was wrong because of what it left out. You know, maybe it's wrong in the Darwinian sense to reduce the complexity of being to a, a material substrate and forget about the surrounding context. So, well, you know, those are two examples. And so you can have a way at that if you want. Yeah, okay. So there are a few issues here that I think we need to pull apart. I think that the basic issue here and where I disagree with you is you seem to be equivocating on the nature of truth here. You're using truth in two different senses and finding a contradiction that I, that I don't, in fact, think exists. So let's talk about, about pragmatism and Darwinism briefly for a second. So I've spent a lot of time in the, the thicket of, of pragmatism because I was a student of Richard Rorty's at Stanford, and I took every class he taught and just basically did nothing but argue with him about pragmatism. So I'm very familiar with this way of viewing. Okay, guys, you guys are telling me the audio is not good. I'm going to refresh this page. It might be because I have somebody else in the house using internet. Okay. We're about at 34 we minutes. We never in. stand outside of human conversation and talk about reality as it is or truth as it is we never we never come into contact with naked truth 
all we have is our conversation and our tools of augmenting our conversation, scientific instruments and otherwise. And all we really have... The okay, so Sam Harris is admitting, look, we never get in touch with naked truth. Yes, we're stuck behind the Kantian wall. The wall of how we perceive things. Human beings perceive things in a particular way. You know, uh, to, a, to a horsefly, feces is great. It's delicious. It's amazing. It's something. Could you imagine it, what a world it lives in? It's how, it has a totally different setup to us. That's something that repulses us. Well, it has a lot to do with your senses. You're built a certain way. You experience life a certain way. Experience existence a certain way. Now Sam Harris is telling him, look, okay, you're right. We can't get around the egocentric predicament. We can never do that. But he's saying, look, it's not that doesn't give us a carte blanche. This is what he's going to tell you now. He's going to tell you, look, it doesn't give us a free-for-all. We could say whatever. Let's see how, let's see how he, he puts it. The currency of, of truth is whatever successfully passes muster in a conversation. So I say something that I think is true, and it seems to work for you. We have a similar, we're playing a similar language game, and some people disagree. They criticize what we are, are claiming to be true, and we go back and forth. And all we ever have is this kind of ever-expanding horizon line of successful conversations that allow us to do things technologically that are very persuasive. So as you say, we can build hydrogen bombs. And so the conversation about the structure of the atom, at the very least, the conversation about the amount of energy hidden in the otherwise nebulous structure of an atom, that becomes you know, very well grounded in facts that we, that we all can agree are, are intersubjectively true. Yeah, well, that seems to that seems to weaken the claim that it's just within language, you know, which is kind of a postmodern claim too, because it's very difficult for me to believe that the hydrogen bomb is what it is just because we agree what it is in conversation. You know, it, it immediately yeah. reflects a world outside of now that outside of language. That doesn't mean we we get permanent and omniscient access to that world, but but it's more than language as far as. So maybe I'm misunderstanding Rorty or, or, um, I think you're, you are understanding him. He just, he will say that again, all we ever have is our effort to organize the way the world seems to us with concepts and language. And we just have successful iterations of that and unsuccessful ones and a hydrogen bomb explosion, no matter how big, assuming we survive it still falls within this empirical context of an evolving language game. And I agree with you that this does, it does connect with postmodernism in a way that is decidedly unhelpful. And and Rorty was a fan of Derrida and Foucault. And, you know, I remember walking out of Derrida's lecture at Stanford. I literally had to, to climb over the bodies of the credulous who were sitting in the aisles listening to the great man speak. And he didn't speak a single intelligible sentence as far as I recall. Well, that's obviously just because you don't have the profundity to understand, uh, you know, a postmodern French neo-Marxist intellectual. I don't. But to get back to some of your claims here, there's this claim you're making about the Darwinian basis of truth and knowledge, that there really is just survival, right? There's just, you know, biological change selected against by an environment and there is what works in that context, what is pragmatic in that context biologically, and there's what doesn't, and what doesn't gets you killed. Yeah. Now, obviously, that picture of of how we got here 
is something that I agree with. Right. But our conception of truth and our conception of truth in general and scientific truth specifically and, and even of Darwinian evolution within that subset of truth claims, that is not functioning by merely Darwinian principles. And this just goes to... Right, but that, that could be an objection to its validity. Like, there's no reason to assume, and, and I, don't get me wrong, like, I'm perfectly happy with science, I'm a scientist, and, um, but there's no reason to assume that our, our view of the world, our current scientific view of the world, isn't flawed or incomplete in some manner that will prove fundamentally fatal to us. As a working assumption, we can decide not to worry too much about that, and that's fine. But yes, I agree, and more fundamental than that, and I think this is the accurate version of the claim you're making. This is something that I, I spoke about on another podcast with Max Tegmark, a physicist from MIT. The, there is just the fact that within the Darwinian conception of how we got here, there's no reason to believe that our cognitive faculties have evolved to put us anybody notice that they're they're presupposing evolution like he's saying peterson's saying look it's all darwinian if it's true enough to survive it goes forward well I, what i would ask him if i was sam i wouldn't waste my time with all these definitions and and referring to all these other professors and he's making a joke about a professor who thinks he's not he's, he's not a good professor and he's all hype what's the point of all that respond to what the man is saying the man just made a claim he just said peterson just said look something is true if it's true enough to move forward if it's not true enough to move forward it dies off what's what signifies if it's true enough like how do you how are you measuring he says look it's beneficial to me it's pragmatic it helps me somehow some way so i would turn around and ask him do you believe in evolution because it helps you in some way because he's presupposing evolution is true. He's like, okay, evolution is true. And from here, I'm going to start using this system here, this evolutionary system, this idea of mine. I'm going to put it out there in the world, and that's what's going to tell me what's true or not. Well, we have to ask him, how do you know this is true? This is a presupposition. You're starting off with the belief. This is what we call in philosophy. It's begging the question. We have to ask you, how you know that? Because there's a regress now. We have to regress until something is true by definition it's self-evident or it's proven beyond the need to uh, ask another question we have to be self-evident or else we have infinite regress we have to ask peterson how do you know evolution is true well, he's gonna be like i observed it in my environment well you said you said that you only observe things that are good for you that are pragmatic so what's first is it pragmatism or is it evolution which one is it? And why do you believe pragmatism is true? Now, pragmatism is an old philosophical theory, okay? You're basically using aesthetic. Whatever feels good to me, whatever I think is good, so I'm the measure. This is, in, in philosophy, we call this sophism, okay? The sophists say, it's ancient Greek philosophy, okay? Very ancient. Man is the measure of all things. Me, I decide what's true me the coach i tell you if that's delicious well guess what chocolate cake is delicious if you don't think chocolate cake is delicious you're crazy okay well sophist didn't go that far you're the measure of your own truth i'm the measure of my own truth that's why you have these young kids today these young kids today they say i want to speak my truth drives me a bit crazy okay because truth is not subjective 
You know, we talked about the atomic bomb. Look, it blew up. Whether you agree with it or not, that, that mountain over there that used to be there just got blown up by an atomic bomb. There's a, there's a world outside of us that our truth claims have to correspond with. Okay, this is correspondence theory. Now, Peterson is saying, look, correspondence theory, yes, I agree. The atomic bomb did blow up. But before correspondence, that's just a layer on top of the cake. It's not the first most fundamental layer. It's not the building block. You know, when you build a building the stone the keystone the first stone the, the the foundation is the most important right if i take that out everything collapses so he's saying look for me it's pragmatism after i put correspondence where sam is for sure going to disagree and say no first it's correspondence and then we could talk about what's beneficial yes there's some truths we might never want to know because let's say for instance let's say for instance if we did learn about atomic energy atomic energy destroyed the entire world I think Sam would admit, look, it's true, atomic energy is true, but let's hope we never figure it out. Why? Because it'll kill us all. So he's saying correspondence is first, and then pragmatism. Whereas Peterson is, Peterson is saying no. First is pragmatism, and then let's accept correspondence. They're both true, but what's more important to me is pragmatism, and it has to make me survive and move forward if not what benefit is it that i'm right this is what this is what peterson's trying to say in error-free contact with reality that's not how they evolved i mean we, we did not evolve to be perfect mathematicians or perfect logical operators or perfect conceivers of scientific reality at the very small you know subatomic level or at the very large cosmic level or at the very old cosmological level we are designed by the happenstance of evolution to function within a very narrow band of, of light intensities and physical parameters. I don't know why Sam is beating around the bush. He's obviously correct. I'll tell you why Sam is correct. Sam could deal a death blow right now. He could deal the death blow right now. I would ask Peterson, how do you know about evolution? He's going to say, look, I observed it in the environment. That's correspondence. So you started from correspondence. Remember, we talked about begging the question. I'll tell Peterson, how do you know? Because you're saying, look, it's I'm using the principles of evolution. How do you know these principles? I observed them in nature. If you observe them in nature, you started off from correspondence. Now, Sam, I don't know why he's not just jumping at the juggler here. Maybe it's because he's a guest. I think there's a nice way to put it. Um, but he's kind of like, he's giving me a bit of a, he's taking us for a bit of a detour, I think. But let's listen on. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he does uh, get to it. The things we are designed to do very well are, you know, recognize the facial expressions of apes just like ourselves and to throw objects in parabolic arcs within 100 meters and, and all of that. And so right. the fact that we are able to succeed to the degree that we have been in creating a vision of scientific truth and the structure of the cosmos at large that radically exceeds those narrow parameters that is a it's a kind of miracle it's an amazing fact about us that seems not to be true remotely true of any other species we know about and that's that's something to be celebrated and it's a lot of fun to see how far we can get in that direction but i would grant you that there are no guarantees as we move forward in that space and in fact, we should be skeptical. Guys, Sam is killing me right now. I got to fast forward a little bit. He's just killing me, dude. Give him, give him 
an example of why pragmatism can be incorrect. I got to skip forward a bit. He's beating around the bush way too much. Situates that in a, in a larger sphere where you can intelligibly say that everyone is wrong about something. Well, it's complicated. I wouldn't say I'm saying exactly that. Um, I certainly don't agree with the language game part of it. Um, and see, if you if you think of the Darwinian process as something you can't escape, like there's no outside of it. And partly the reason for that is that you're just too damn ignorant to to get outside of it in any in any transcendent manner. Now you might say, well, you can do that to some degree with science and I'm not going to argue with that. But, but before you move on, let me just understand the claim, because it seems to me we are outside of it in every respect where you want to emphasize the Darwinian component of it. So we're, we're outside of the implications that, you know, certain phenotypes would have killed you outright 5,000 years ago, whereas now we have a civilizational mechanism to protect those people. So if you're wearing eyeglasses, and you, you are able to function just as well as your neighbor who's got perfect vision, you're out of a Darwinian paradigm there. It doesn't matter that you're wearing eyeglasses, right? On a thousand points, we can make that same observation. And therefore, more or less everything we care about has followed along those lines. I mean, so just the fact that we are, you know, one of the greatest gains we are attempting to make, although we, we have done it imperfectly thus far, is to outgrow tribalism in all its forms, right? So we, we recognize that tribalism is not the best, you know, moral bedrock. And yet, in a Darwinian paradigm, tribalism is really the only game in town. And so we stand outside of Darwinian logic, both morally and intellectually, all the time. Now, are you denying that? What am I confused about? I'm calling that into question. Sam is saying, look, we've, we're outside looking in on Darwinism. Darwinism. We got to a point where a young kid's wearing glasses. Good. We, 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 we helped him propagate his not-so-fit genetics. I think this is what he's trying to say. It doesn't make sense. I don't agree with him because that kid could have other uh, fitness values that are superior, even though he has bad eye vision. So what? He got a little bit of eye, bad eye vision. What do you think that means that the kid can't survive? He can't survive. He's got to be good enough to survive. He doesn't have to be the best. Okay, so Sam's example, in my opinion, doesn't make any sense, but let's just grant him it just for fun. Okay, let's just for fun, just to make it... He's not giving us a perfect example. He's giving an example that makes... Okay, it's, it's, I, I get it. There's plenty of bullet holes in it. But let's grant it for him. Let's say he's telling us, look, the people that would normally wouldn't survive in nature, in the kill or be killed world, they're going to survive in this society. Why? We've done these things. We've done this, this new artificial thing. It's artificial. It's not, new to, it's not Darwinian. Again, I totally disagree with him. But again, let's just grant it to Sam just for argument's sake, just so this conversation doesn't last doesn't take us too far in too too long okay he's saying look we're kind of outside looking into darwinism we've we're thinking about darwinism we're not just we're not just kill or be killed we're not just the law of the jungle no more now we're civilized hey you can't make it in life you know what we're going to help you we're going to protect you we're going to protect the weak and this and that of course, many of you out there are going to argue, well, that's the new evolution of, of Darwinism. Now we, because we, he's saying there's no more tribes. That's not true. These tribes came together. They call themselves the government. They lobby for the weak. They lobby for them for whatever reason. This can all be seen within the paradigm of, of Darwinism. I think maybe this is what Peterson's going to say. But what Sam is trying to say is saying, look, you're, you're, Peterson, your ideas are a bit outdated. 
Why? Because look, we're outside of Darwinism now. We're talking about Darwinism. We're looking at it. We're observing it. How could we be in it? We're saying, look, Darwinism is not good. Don't kill or be killed. Let's not live like that. We're above this. Okay, now this has a lot of implications. It has an incredible amount of implications. I don't think we're going to be touching on it in this video, but let's see how Peterson responds. I'm, I'm not necessarily denying it, and I'm certainly not presuming that, you know, that what I'm saying is right, because I'm trying to solve another problem at the same time. But you see, the thing about the scientific viewpoint is that it leaves certain things out, and it leaves out what it doesn't know, obviously, although the same might be said for any other system of belief and should be. But it also looks at the world in a particular way. For example, it strips the world of its subjectivity. And it may be that that's a fatal error. Now, that doesn't mean that it stopped science from being unbelievably useful as a tool. But I think of science as a tool rather than as a description of reality. And, you know, that's, well, that's where we differ. And, and it's f fair that we differ, you know. It's, it isn't obvious which of those two positions could be held to be correct because you know you could say that the more we learn about the objective world you know in your realist manner the higher the probability that we'll survive and it's conceivable that those things are aligned in that manner but it's also conceivable that they're not and i'm uh, wary of that because radical changes produce unintended consequences and you know, we've lived relatively successfully as as primates for, you know, a couple of dozen million years, and we're transforming things pretty damn rapidly. You know, I mean, one potential outcome is that in 500 years, we're more machine than human, you know, and that we're not really human at all in any realistic sense. And I can't necessarily see that as a, you know, you could claim that that's a positive outcome, but it isn't necessarily that it's a positive outcome. So you're you're assuming that there is an alignment between the two. No, I'm not doing that. And I think, okay. And now I'm getting a little confused about what you're claiming. So let me just go over that. Guys, I'm also confused a bit about what he's claiming. And somebody put in the chat that Peterson has a very postmodern view about truth. It's so true. He's wrestling with the postmodern um, worldview, you know. That's what they're saying. The, the young kids today are saying, look, I, yes, I'm born physically a dude, but I associate myself as another something else. You know, uh, you're born a woman, but you're associate, you, you associate yourself with men. So you, you have feel like you're, you have a lot of things in common with men. So you want to go by another name. That's exactly what they're saying. That's their exact position. Just because my physical body is one way doesn't mean my psyche is, is the same. Is co it corresponds to my physical body. Is Jordan Peterson kind of like the ultimate leftist is he i'm not sure you know i have to go over it again but it's very postmodern in his position now he mentioned realism what's realism realism is is a worldview in philosophy where we say like look the world is the way we perceive it so for instance if i see a boulder going rolling down a hill you know what there was a boulder rolling down a hill that really happened there's a world out there where boulders roll down hills. A lot of philosophers don't accept this. I know it sounds weird. You'll be like, hey coach, that's just everybody's worldview. No, it's not. Most, a lot of philosophers don't agree that we have access to the real world, okay? That boulder rolling down a rock just seems like that to you because of how you're built, how your mind works, 
that's how you experienced it, but that's not really what's going on outside there, if there is an outside. Now, again, guys, this is this is complicated stuff, but it's not nonsense. I know a lot of you can be like, oh, it's just nonsense. It's not nonsense. Believe me, I, I've been through this for many years, okay? It's, it's very, very, very uh, intelligent. These are intelligent people making these claims. These are not fools, okay? But he's mentioning realism. So when you hear him say the word realism, he's saying, look, the world's not necessarily how you are experiencing it. So look, guys, this uh, this is like pulling teeth a bit, okay? Peterson is really like, uh, he's using a lot of words that are very um, uh, complex. And he, he's a smart guy. He's a very intelligent guy. He's just not giving us one point at a time. He's kind of like giving us a little bit, little little piece at a time. And you got to kind of put the puzzle together. It's, it's really long and complicated. I want to hear what Sam Harris has to say. And then I'm going to fast forward it way down the line where he, they finally said something a little bit more easy to grasp, okay? Let's hear what Sam responds. Because I, I really believe Sam made an error here. Sam should ask them, how do you know about evolution? This is, guys, this is the whole... This is the core of this conversation. Sam should have asked him, well, how do you know? Why do you believe in these Darwinian principles? He would have to refer to Darwin himself. And how does Darwin know? Begs the question, how does Darwin know? Darwin knew via observation. Then you are also nested in correspondence. I observe something. It's true. I, I claim something, excuse me, I claim something to be true. Now we have to go out in the world to see if that corresponds to your claim. Your claim has to correspond with what's happening in the world. Peterson is also a correspondence theorist. He just doesn't know it. Sam is not telling him or Sam is not detecting that it, the, fun, the fun foundation of his belief relates back to correspondence theory. Why did Darwinism come up with his theory? Because of correspondence, not pragmatism, it had nothing to do with pragmatism ground you just sketched just to, to get myself on track so it seems to me that you're saying that the reductio ad absurdum of a darwinian conception of not what's reductio ad absurdum i'm going to reduce things till it becomes ridiculous reductio ad absurdum what's reductionism well i tell you look uh, if i say guys how does the internet work Actually, no, that's not a good example. I'm not, I'm not, I'm like, you guys know I'm weak in, in button pushing. Let's say I, I talk to you about uh, how does a combustion engine work? Well, I'll say, look, there's a mixture of gas and air and a spark that creates an explosion that pushes a piston. That piston then turns an axle. Again, guys, I'm not a mechanic. I'm just giving you guys, please allow me the, the mistakes that I'm, the technical mistakes I'm making. It turns an axle, that axle turns a wheel and the wheel pushes a car forward. Well, then somebody will be like, hey, you haven't reduced it far enough. Let's go back further. Why does fire combust? Well, it needs air and this chemical reaction. Why does it need air? So they keep reducing it to the smallest component. To, and by the way, whenever we play reduction at absurdum, whenever we go, when we try to reduce it to, to no end, like when we try to go really far, we end up getting lost and confused. Okay, so if I tell you, hey, why is that car moving forward? You're going to be like, well, because the wheel is turning. Why is the wheel turning? Well, because it's tied to this thing called an axle. Why is the axle turning? Well, it's being cranked by this by this crankshaft or whatever whatever mechanics call it. Why is that thing being cranked? Well, because of the piston. Well, why is the piston uh, moving? Well, because of the, this combustion. Why is the combustion working? Well, actually, there's a guy inside the car pushing the gas pedal. Why is he pushing the gas pedal? And then you have to go back all the way to the beginning. To the point where it becomes, we often say, it becomes absurd. We, we can't go back any further. We're either confused, lost, we diverged. It, it gets sketchy. But we can't reduce it to this one point. It's very difficult. We can, but it's very, very difficult.
knowledge would be if we ever learned certain truths that got us all killed, well, then that would prove that these things weren't true or that this was an intellectual dead end. Yeah, they weren't true enough, I would say. I mean, two things here. One is that there's nothing about my conception of science that discounts the reality or the significance of subjectivity. Okay, guys, I'm going to skip ahead because they're going to have the same conversation again in a few minutes. And I think this example is far more easy for us to bite into. Okay. Let's stop it around here. This is going to be far more interesting, guys. Okay, so stay tuned. You're making a case there that it's sort of quasi-associated with science. That's the photographic evidence. And <laughs> Okay, let me rewind. I went too far. So Sam Harris is saying, look, it's not all about pragmatism. What if I showed you pictures of your wife cheating on you? Would you say, hey, I'm not going to believe it because it, it'll lead me to suicide? But the photographic evidence is there. It's true. Look, he's showing you for a fact. Let's see how Peterson gets out of this, okay? You know, first of all, I don't think it's a very good example because it only involves the death of a few people. But let me, let me counter with a real-world example. No, 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 no. Don't change the example. Scale it up. Let's say we're okay. They're killing half of humanity. Hello, I'm skipping that part. Any statement about whether or not something is likely to be true when you're talking about probabilistic truth, there you're not talking merely about the risk of species annihilation. I know that's because you leave that question out of the okay, guys. I got to skip forward just a little bit more. There's a part where he talks about. Okay, he's giving him a new thought experiment now. Imagine I were to show you pictures. There's a dead silence here. Peterson is thinking. Well, you know, I think we've been going down this road for so long that I'm not exactly capable of them at the moment of making the micro uh, example, macro example leap because you're making a case there that it's sort of quasi-associated with science. That's the photographic evidence and the realism that's associated. He's telling him, Sam Harris told him, look, what if I showed you photographic evidence of your wife cheating on you? Would you say that's not true? Let's say that leads you to suicide. Then it's not true. She never cheated on you. Are you going to deny it? Well, you know what, Sam? Sophist would deny it. A sophist will say, no, that, that picture is not proof. That, that's a woman that looks like my wife, he'll probably say. This is, this is what sophists would say, okay? Now, I'm not saying this. For me, it corresponds. Done. It's true, okay? I'm a correspondence theorist. Peterson is not answering correctly, okay? He's not, he's not being a good sophist here. He's kind of like getting stuck. See, he had a pause. He wasn't sure how to answer. He was like, well, okay, that's a micro example. I'm talking about real life. You're talking about a, this perfect thought experiment. You, you structured it in a way that would never happen in the real world. And he's wrong about that as well, Peterson, because it, it is a possibility, He's not granting the Sam Harris the possibility. Now, here's how a sophist would get out of this. He would tell Sam, look, Sam, you have no proof that that's my wife. That's a woman that looks like my wife. Or that picture could have been doctored. I don't know. Now, maybe my wife was drugged and she was taking a picture with, uh, this man took a picture with her. Maybe she was set up. Maybe this is fake. He, he would tell you, look, I doubt your evidence. You, you can never bring me a true sophist. Again, guys, don't confuse. Don't misquote me, okay? This is not me me the evidence has to be good enough okay a true sophist would tell you evidence is never perfect therefore i don't have to choose to believe it i can th keep thinking that my wife was perfectly faithful 
she's very good and that picture was a fraud it's it's fake you faked it that's a woman that looks like my wife my wife was maybe drugged you doctored the photo you can never bring perfect evidence this is what peterson should have said let's hear what he did say with that and then you're making the claim that you know it's not true that she wasn't having an affair i'd have to take that apart more he killed himself like you're throwing a lot of things into that example so Sam is telling him, look, what if the guy goes out and kills himself after he sees a picture of him, of, of his wife with some dude, then he jumps off a building, and kills himself. Does that make it untrue? Because according to Peterson's theory, it's only true if it benefits you. Well, it benefited the guy, it benefited the wife, maybe, maybe she wanted to get rid of her husband. But to that one individual jumping off a bridge, Sam is asking him, is it untrue for him? It was bad for him. It didn't help him with survival. You said it's Darwinian. You see Peterson's against the ropes here. Peterson, Peterson should have said, should have said that your evidence is never perfect therefore that guy didn't have to believe it if he's a true sophist he doesn't doesn't feel like he has to believe it now look guys don't misquote me i i despise like plato despised sophistry i despise sophistry don't get me mixed up don't misquote me here i'm just telling you what i think peterson should have said if he was going to really represent sophistry perfectly or, or adequately I think right here he just didn't think of a good answer okay which doesn't make him wrong it just maybe he, he he took a pause and he just couldn't come up with a good answer sam gave him a very neat thought experiment that he couldn't get around now sam gives him another thought experiment after okay i think or maybe it was before but let's just continue with this one that i believe are contextually important to my unpacking the ethics behind it you know, because you're equating the fact that she had an affair to him committing suicide, which, you know, there's a whole backstory there. And it also depends to a large degree precisely on what you mean by an affair, which was something that you brushed over. So, you know, you're acting. That's the problem with these damn micro examples is that, and this is why I don't trust Josh Green's work. It's because you, you set up a narrative that's completely fictional and you act as if each of the subcomponents of the narrative are isolated truths that have no external context. You say, well, the external context has no bearing on the issue at hand. And that's just generally not true. It has a lot of bearing on the issue at hand. Well, it bears on some of it, and there's other parts which it obviously can't bear on. Well, here's I'm, I'm just okay, asking well, that you distinguish no, those two. here's an example, man. I've been in courtrooms. I've been in courtrooms lots of times, say, I love that he called Sam man. No, no, no. Here's an example, man. And now he's going to find, look, he thought of it. He thought of a reason why Sam cannot be hundred percent right. So he can continue on his, um, staying true to his definition of truth. Truth is what benefits you. Let's see how he, uh, squeezes out of this one. With divorce cases, you know, and the, the, the issue of what constitutes an affair, which you brushed over, you know, when you said, well, it may depend on ah uh, now he's gonna play around definition this is what sophists do and he's he's correct there's, there's it's you can never define what an affair is truly only if i agree with you so sam's gonna be like okay what constitutes an affair did she go to dinner with him is that an affair uh did she kiss him is that an affair or did they have to have you know sex actual physical sex then that's an affair so the dating wasn't an affair the kissing wasn't an affair but where do we draw the line okay it's saying hello to him an affair so we have to agree what an affair is 
Peterson's going to tell him, look, I'll never agree to that. That's basically what he's going to say. If he's a good sophist, he'll be like, look, I don't agree with you with what your definition of affair is. He's saying now, he's saying, look, I've been to court for many years and I saw people that were in abusive relationships and you can't call what she did now an affair. She was abused. You're taking out the context. Her husband beat on her. Because let's say, for instance, you show him a picture of his wife cheating on him or whatnot. But then you go to court and you learn that this guy beat his wife, he treated her badly, he abused her, he burned her with cigarettes, he locked her in the basement, he he was the worst husband in the history. And then she fell in love with some other guy and you're like, oh, who could blame her? This is what Peterson's going to say now. He's going to say, look, I'm switching the narrative on you. The same picture, but a different narrative. The same picture, but a different backstory. On what kind of sex is going on, whether or not it's technically an affair. It's like... <laughs> The photographic evidence of her in bed with another man would not necessarily be enough to convict her of having an affair in a court. You're assuming that the photographic evidence is prima facie evidence of the affair. And the way you're doing that is by circumscribing no. the definition of affair such that it fits with your notion of factual evidence. You might say, well, it's... No, I don't think Sam does it, but why, why don't we go to video now? How about I tell you, I have a video of your wife cheating on you. Like, what is, what is Peterson going to need? Like, how high up the bar is he going to go? Like, let's just go all the way. Let's just do it. Let's just have the wife admit to having an affair. What if the wife comes and says, look, you've been the perfect husband, but for some reason or another, I had an affair. Certainly the case that she was having sex with another man. <laughs> Jordan, I'm just using it to demonstrate that it doesn't make sense to subordinate our conception of truth or the factual accuracy of any given description of reality to what happens perhaps in some distant future vis-a-vis -vis the survival of anyone. Now, we can talk about the survival of people and of the species as our primary concern. That's a totally valid thing to care about. Why, in fact, there's Why very is few it things valid? Why is it valid? If it doesn't, if it isn't at the top of the hierarchy of truth claims, why the hell would you bother subordinating science to it? As you point out, there are, there are things that are more important than understanding reality scientifically. Hey, great. That's exactly my point. You're not making that point by using this Nietzschean conception of truth. What you're doing uh, is yeah. making it very... It's not really a Nietzschean conception of truth. Okay? Nietzsche wouldn't say that it's... Uh correspondence is irrelevant even though he believed that everybody has you he, Nietzsche says look you'll never get to the truth so just believe whatever benefits you okay but he's not saying what Peterson is saying okay uh, Peterson's slightly different let's not get into the nuances but we can't in Nietzsche's view we can't get a truth okay Peterson's <laughs> Peterson's view we can't get a truth so Nietzsche's kind of like he's gonna do his best Peterson's is telling you look I'm gonna believe what makes sense to me what makes me successful. And that's all I care about, is what he's trying to say. Very difficult to talk about facts. It's more of a Darwinian conception of truth than a Nietzschean one. I mean, Nietzsche just referred to it obliquely, but you just admitted that there are- But the truth is, is not even a Darwinian conception of truth. It's certainly not a Darwinian conception of Darwinism, because the truth value of a Darwinian description of biology is not predicated on any harms that may come on the basis of people thinking in those terms. That's an additional no, thing we claim, can be concerned a, about. Sure, sure. But there's a claim inside Darwin, Darwinian thinking, which was recognized by all the pragmatists who were very, very smart people, that 
you the truth metaphysic there's truth metaphysic nested in darwinian darwinian theory which is that you don't you don't have access to the truth even if you think you have the best you have are the truths that support the probability that you will continue with your existence and the existence of the species and there is no, no. truth outside that and you're saying yes there is there's a root there's that is not the pragmatic conception of truth. The pragmatic conception of truth is not merely anchored to the Darwinian logic of evolution and survival. No, they considered it a subset of pragmatic thinking. As soon as Darwin published his work, the American pragmatists, particularly Dewey, but also William James, jumped on it instantly and said, well, yeah, well, there's an example of the work of the, of the, uh, what, the generalizability of our claims about pragmatic truth it's even the boy oh boy oh boy word salad word salad guys you know what a word salad is we have this in philosophy we talk about like word salad or alphabet soup fallacy it's just you're using more words than necessary to say what you want to say and sometimes a word salad can be you're just saying words non-stop and i understand that they're stressed i think they're really like they're butting heads right now and I, I, I read some of the comments in the comment section. These guys are not dumb, okay? Please don't say that. These are two very highly intelligent human beings. The reason why you think it's dumb what they're saying is because you don't understand it. Believe me, if you could follow, if you're trained to follow what these men are saying, they are both, they are both very intelligent, well thought out human beings, okay? They're very intelligent and they've thought these, they've thought about these ideas a lot now i think peterson uh, you know there was one moment i've heard i listened to this conversation earlier today there was one moment where i really felt he dropped sam harris if i can use that term in the conversation because look i'm on sam harris's side i'm a correspondence theorist okay i believe that if you may say something is true we have to find it out there in the world or inside your head it has to correspond to something you can't just say what you want it can't just be beneficial okay so i'm a correspondence theorist also like sam but sam made a big mistake during this conversation, I didn't get to the clip because this is way too long. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to hammer out a five-hour uh, podcast. But at one point, Peterson tells him, "Look, you think you can prove morality scientifically?" He goes, "Peterson's telling him, I don't think you can." Now, Sam Harris, I listened to his Google talk about uh, end of faith and how he's going to prove morality scientifically. Guys, if you if this video, if you guys want me to do a cross examination of that, I will. It'll be a lot cleaner than this one. This one's a bit of a, this one's a bit of a dogfight. Okay, uh, but this video, I'd have to know you guys really. I'd have to do it. You know, the next twenty episodes are going to be out about martial arts. It would have to be something you guys really want. This video would have to get like five thousand likes. Okay, it would have to get five thousand likes. If it doesn't get five thousand likes, because I'm getting the picture, you guys don't like these kind of episodes. I won't do them in the future. We'll stick to mixed martial arts. Okay, but once in a while, it's fun to do these weird episodes. Once in a blue moon. Once every fifty episodes or 20 episodes let's say but what did uh, peterson say that was so interesting he's like look you think you can he's saying to sam harris you think you can prove morality via science and you can't he goes i don't think you can sam harris thinks you can prove morality without god he's completely wrong is that me saying that no it's plato Ghazali, nietzsche descartes every single thinker in history can't all of us we all think he's out to lunch now i still sat down i listened to his google talk i'm like hey maybe the guy found a way maybe he proved us all wrong 
maybe he found a way and we're going to make a we're going to make a we're going to write books about this great man we're going to be like this great man has figured out something that for thousands of years human beings have been clawing at trying to figure out and we none of us can figure out maybe mr harris can do it he gathers us all here today he's calling on us guys i could prove to you morality he said in this talk he said just like there isn't an arabic math and an english math there's just math there's just morality now i agree with him i agree with him i'm also i also believe morality is something out there that exists independently of us morality is something that exists it's not subjective it exists i agree with sam but i believe in god i say look we, it can only exist because of god that's it period now this is a very complex view it's very well known in philosophy he's saying no look i believe in morality like you uh, but i don't believe in god so uh, how is that possible explain to us he did a long google talk and i'm telling you the google talk failed Okay, Google Talk failed. And I love the fact that there was educated people in the audience. There was some very smart people in the audience. And when they came to question and answer, they raised their hand. They're like, hey, you basically erected, you took down one God and erected another. You're still erecting a God. Like there's still a deity involved, so to speak. There's still something out there that has to validate that it's not scientific, your morality. You didn't prove it scientifically. You never proved it scientifically. Sam Harris, during the whole Google Talk, guys, and I sat through the whole thing, he never proved morality scientifically. He never even came close. So I don't know. That Google talk happened before this. Okay, so Peterson hit him with a good good one-two here. Dropped Harris in this conversation. I have to rewind it, but I can't find the exact spot. He's telling him, look, it, just like you think you can prove morality via science, which I don't think you can, you're now trying to prove the outside world using science. And they're both unprovable. And I agree with Peterson. Ultimately, we can't. We can't know the outside world. We cannot know the noumenal world. But, think, but things correspond to how we, we experience the truth. So there are levels of truth. There are levels of truth. And this later on, Peterson talks about this. Okay, if you're talking about absolute truth, no, you're right. Science cannot be absolutely true. Science is always provable. It could always be proven wrong. It always depends on how we experience things. Okay, they both agree on this, guys. This is not even a point of topic, a uh, point of debate. Harris agrees with him. He's early on in the conversation, look, I agree. We can never know the truth of how it is exactly. All we could do is have a correspondence of what we, as a whole, we have a we have a consensus. Most human beings are experiencing the world in this way. Now, if you're going to talk about absolute truth, now we have to get metaphysical. There are some metaphysical truths that nobody can argue with. Not even. Peterson. If I if I propose him these truths, he couldn't he could not debate. But this whole debate could have been ended with a death blow by Harris. Because don't forget, I'm a correspondence theorist just like him. If he asked Peterson, how do you know about Darwinian principles? How do you know about these principles? It would have boiled down to correspondence, to observation, to a faith. That the way we observe the world is actually how it is. There is a faith there. So Peterson's argument would have crumbled. In my opinion, it would have crumbled. Whether it's useful to him or not. In the end, this is what I think Sam, Sam Harris should have done. He didn't do it. He doesn't do it the entire way. I listened to the whole thing. And um, I don't know if he does it in the following conversations. Case in the biological world. And there's no way outside of that. And that's not my invention or my particular interpretation. I mean, that drove an entire, that drove the fundamental 
American philosophy, pragmatism. Again, I've been very close to pragmatism because I was just endlessly haranguing Richard Rorty in person about these things. But most of what we talk about, most of the statements we want to make about reality that have some truth value or not, however dimly we can see the, the basis of it or not, most of this content has no obvious connection and may in fact, as a matter of the history of the species, have no actual connection to our survival. Why do you care about well-being then? Like, you know, you're to me, you're making two paradoxical moral claims at the same time. On the one hand, Again, you're, 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 you're wanting to move on to another topic, which is totally understandable at this point, but... Well, I think it's, it's, it's partly because the uh, when you're talking about the other topic, I think that you're, you will necessarily land up in the position that I just described if you if you pursue it far enough. Not if I can't make your position make sense when talking about terrestrial reality or even fictional reality. So I, I could say, for instance, that in Shakespeare's play, Hamlet, Hamlet was the prince of Denmark, right? Now that is a factually true statement about a fictional world. Hey, you talked about white lies, right? Jordan, please. I'm not, I'm not skipping off the topic. I'm directly addressing it. Something can be true at one level of analysis and not true at another. That happens all the time. That's what a white lie is. It happens all the time. And the reason we're stuck on this discussion is because you won't allow me to make a distinction between provisional factual truths which I, I don't want to dispute because it's self-evident that they're correct. But that isn't what I'm saying. I'm saying that there's an underlying metaphysics that's at question here. There's two different claims you could be making when you call them provisional. One of which is obviously valid and which every sane scientist makes, which is to say that, that we are working within a, a set of theories and a set of tools which don't give us ultimate confidence that our current description of reality is true and will never be falsified. We're making falsifiable claims about the world in a Popperian sense, many of which have not yet been falsified and which therefore are still in good standing. Okay, would you say that one of those, would you say that one of those falsifiable claims is that the work that we're doing in the lab is beneficial to mankind. No, you need well, not you, make. Are that, you sure? Because so, that is But Jordan, you need not make claim. that claim. You could make that claim, or you could make the claim that it's harmful, or you could make the claim. Wow. Wow. Peterson is saying, "Look, science is true because, on a whole, it's good for humanity. On a whole, yeah, there's some little things here and there. These micro examples that might harm us." But as a whole, science is true to us because it makes us medicine, it makes our cars go, it heals us, it helps us conquer our enemies, it keeps the it keeps cancer away, like it does all these great things for us. Therefore, it's true, it's good. Sam Harris is saying no. Okay, we're back at the same loop. Sam Harris is saying no, it science was true before mankind ever came to not the scientific method, but he's talking about the scientific, the, the scientific facts. You know, gravity existed before mankind ever used it to to generate electricity. You know, we use waterfalls to generate electricity. Well, guess what? It was true before mankind discovered it. Claim that it's neither beneficial nor harmful, and yet is still intelligible in that context to say that 
what I'm doing in the lab is no less true. Yeah, but people it may not don't be useful. Do they, they, people don't do that in the real world. They always claim that what they're doing is of benefit. And that's because they recognize the fact that whether or not it's of benefit trumps whether or not it's factually true. Okay, but Jordan, now we've been doing this for two hours, and my only claim is that you have to be able to distinguish these variables. It is intelligible to say that in one lab, they have a true theory, factually accurate, which is allowing them to do all kinds of things that they wouldn't be able to do if they were mistaken about what they believed. But they're doing things that are harmful because they're bad people, right? Or negligent people. That is unfortunately an all too common situation that we are then in. Their theory, then their theory about what they're doing is wrong. You think that you can take the theory, their theory of smallpox independently of their nefariousness. And I would say, no, you can't. You can't. Because you, you're willing, there's an archaeological dig that's going on here. We'll say there's a proximal claim, and then there's a claim underneath that, and then there's a claim underneath that, and then there's a claim underneath that, which might be a moral claim, which I would say is something like at the bottom. And I would say, well, nefarious people can't have a truthful view of smallpox virus. It's not possible. And you might but say, wait well, a if, minute. You just parse Jordan... out, if you just parse out their, the little empirical description, it's identical to the empirical description of the benevolent person. And I would say, well, then you're just drawing your borderlines around your truth claim inappropriately. It's a matter of depth. We could make it even worse for you than that. We could make the, the lab of good people fundamentally confused about the nature of smallpox, right? So they're good people. We need to be able to talk about their goodness because they have good intentions. But when you actually look at what they believe about smallpox, it's wrong. Wrong by what standard? That standard cannot be their goodness. <laughs> okay, Peterson's lost me here. He's saying, look, these fictional characters are cooking up smallpox in a lab. And if they're immoral, they can't get it right, Peterson's saying. That's irrelevant. They could be a, you could have an evil scientist cook up smallpox and, and distribute it out in the world. I don't understand what Peterson, I think he, he, he backfired totally. I think he needs to rethink his, his position. And if he's implying true sophistry, he should have never backed himself up into this corner. Uh, this makes no sense, in my opinion. No sense. They're wrong. They're not going to get it right. They're not going to be able to infect the world. This can't be right. This can't be what he was saying. I, I must be misunderstanding him. Let's see uh, what he's going to say now. It can't be okay. the survival of the species. It has to have to do with the details of molecular biology. If you put them in opposition to the lab of bad people who have an accurate, that is true, understanding of... Mahad, that's a very good um, uh, response. Himmler was an evil scientist. Yes, this, the Nazis did horrible things. And they were phenomenal scientists. They were actually the most advanced scientists at that time in the entire world. And if they won... If they won, their science would have been moral. They would have they would have seen it themselves. They would have seen themselves as moral, right? Hitler would have wrote, rewrote the history books. He would have said, "Look, I'm a hero for what I did." The narrative would have been that these Jewish people were so evil to us. You generations never met them because we got rid of them all. Thank your lucky stars, we're so good, we're so moral that we got rid of them all. Here's a great example. That's a great example from Mahad in the chat room. He's saying, "Look." Peterson, you can't possibly say that that's correct. 
the Nazis won, therefore they're correct. No, we all agree the Nazis are wrong. But is that only because we won and we're just equally on the same footing where there's no difference between us and Nazis? Could this be with Peterson? I would love to bring that up to him. You know, I think he's in a bit of hot water here. Um, a true sophist would have been much harder to nail on the wall. Okay, uh, sophists, is, they're very difficult to nail. Now, there are some very interesting books on sophistry. I would recommend Gorgias by Plato. Plato wrote a great book called Gorgias. Gorgias is one of the most famous sophists ever in history. Uh, but Peterson here, I think, has uh, uh, tripped up his sophistry a little bit. Of smallpox. Again, the concept of truth floats free of anyone's intentions here. And you, it seems to me you have they to grant just, me they that. They just have an error. They just have an error at a different level of the archaeological dig. So they're good people, we'll say. But their, their proximal definition of smallpox is wrong. And that's also not from the Darwinian perspective. I didn't say that good people necessarily always make good decisions. I never said that, or that, or that being good necessarily provides you with... Let's make these the perfectly good, wise people who would make good decisions with an accurate understanding of smallpox. It just so happens, however, that they're bad biologists. Again, the crucial thing is that you, you need the conceptual tools to be able to make these distinctions. Okay, then I would say that the probability that they're perfectly good people and they're biologists and they're studying smallpox is, is so negligible that the example doesn't make sense. Now he's saying, look, it's so improbable. It doesn't matter if it's improbable. It's possible that they're good people, that they understand biology, and that they make an error. This is the problem I have with these toy moral uh, conundrums, is that you get to define the context of the conundrum and leave out what you want, and that makes it easy easier to win the argument. But they're not real. Well, like, well no. I've dealt cause... with people in real-world conundrums a lot, like a lot. And the first problem with a real-world conundrum is it's damn near impossible to define it. You have to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig. You know, so you have pictures of your wife having an affair. Okay, so fine, no problem. So then I spend like two years digging into the situation, and I find out that, you know, to call what she did an affair, given your behavior in the entire 10 years beforehand, is such a perversion of the truth that... Peterson is saying this, okay, imagine really evil Nazis are making smallpox and they distribute it out in the world and it harms a lot of people. Harris is telling him, look, how is that not true? Look, it's immoral what they did, but it's still true. Peterson's saying you got to keep digging and digging. It's an archaeological dig. He's sending you a metaphor now. You got to keep digging. They're wrong somewhere. They're correct in how to kill people with smallpox. He's going to change the word. He's going to go to word. He's going to use the word. He did it earlier in the conversation. Instead of saying true, he's going to say true is something really special. True has to be, it has to be moral. They're correct. They found the correct way to kill people, but it's not true because they're killing people. And that's evil. I'm not going to use the word true. I'm going to use correct. This is a, he's playing semantics now. He's playing games with words. This is the truth. Okay. He's saying, if you keep digging somewhere, they're wrong. I have to find something that's wrong with them. And therefore, I could just say, look, you see these guys? They're wrong. Their theories, their beliefs are wrong. Well, guess what, Mr. Peterson? You could do that with literally everybody. No human being is a perfect logician. So he's saying, look, because everybody is not a perfect logician, you're all wrong at some level. Your logic is incorrect somewhere. If I look closely enough, there's something ambiguous or something suspect there's something that's 
hasn't been proven. That's a presupposition. And therefore, just because that part is untrue, and he's correct about this, the rest may or may not be true because this is a bit complicated, but you could be factually wrong at one part and true at the end. Okay, it's possible. It's not likely, but it's possible. But let's just make things as simple as possible. Okay, let's just make it more clear. He's going to find a little bug somewhere in your theory. He's going to keep digging. And he's going to find an error in what you did. And therefore, he's going to he's going to have poked a hole. He's going to say, look, it's all doubtable now because there's a little bit of speck of doubt. He's right about this. Philosophers do this all the time. However, however, it's still the case that they went out there and they killed people with smallpox. That's true. He's saying, no, he, he's using words now. He's playing games. He's saying, it's not true. It's correct. For me, I reserve the word true for something else. So now we don't use the, we're not using the word true anymore in the same sense. This is in philosophy, we call it moving the goalpost. We started off with true as one, meaning one thing. And now at the end of the conversation, true means something else. He moved the goalpost. He twisted, he changed the words. He does it. He did it earlier. I might've skipped it, but he's going to tell you now, look, it's correct. It's factual, but it's not true. Well, that's not how we use the word true in the earlier part of the conversation. So look, in all, guys, in all, this was fun. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I think Sam Harris, um, he missed the most important point. He did a great job. I mean, he did a phenomenal job cross-examining P Peterson. They're both super intelligent guys. Peterson's not dumb, guys. I don't want to hear one person say he's dumb. He's not. He's a super intelligent guy. What he's saying is um, slightly off. A true sophist, a true pragmatist would have told you, look, I don't care if your facts are ironclad. I care only about my experience of the world. That's it. Yes, it's true that the Nazis are evil and they can figure out smallpox and kill a billion people. Yes, that's correct and true, but I don't accept it. That's what a true pragmatist would say. For me, Nazis is bad. I, I can't accept them uh, winning. If they win... It's either I'm right or, or I'm dead. I'm never going to accept them being uh, the correct true, uh, the, 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 being the correct model for truth. But they have to also admit, the pragmatist has to admit, this is all relative to me and my experience, how I see the world. I've broken away from your consensus. Okay, because don't forget, all scientific facts, all of them, have to do with consensus. Other people have run the experiment. Other people have seen the same thing you have. And we come together as a group and we say, look, we all agree that this body of facts accumulates to this being true. He's just saying, the pragmatist is saying, look, guys, you guys can all get together. You can all come and look at the same facts and put the same narrative on the same facts. And you can all agree upon it, but I'm not giving you consensus. I refuse to agree. That's all Peterson can really do. But Sam Harris is getting getting bent out of shape because one guy doesn't agree with the whole body of uh, correspondence theorists theorists he should just say look us correspondence theorists this is how we think we're confident to a certain level uh, sam harris admits that earlier on he's like look nobody has direct access to naked truth so this whole conversation in my opinion is just a question of definition i agree with sam harris and peterson nobody has access to naked truth when it comes to uh, observation of the world, naked truth is only metaphysical. Naked truths are only known intuitively or metaphysically. That's it. There's no naked truth, 100% true. 
with the senses or pure uh, with uh, Aristotelian logic. Okay, we can always make an error in our logic, always. And um, you know, during this podcast, um, Peterson gives us a great example. He says, "Look, what about ether? Not the crypto before the crypto before the famous crypto Ethereum, which I'm a big fan of, by the way." Scientists believe that. Uh, bodies traveled through ether it was it was this it was this i'm not even familiar it's a, i read this many years ago i can't remember but there was this median called ether that things traveled through and nobody believes that anymore there's an old ancient scientific hypothesis that a lot of people believed in okay he didn't elaborate the details i've heard about it before i'm not remembering the e details anymore but there was a time where human beings believed in the thing this thing called ether and it doesn't exist like today nobody believes that today everybody thinks that's just junk Nobody has access to naked truth. Their definitions of the human predicament is just different. Sam is saying, look, I'm going to agree with everybody else. If people are giving me consensus and my senses, my observation gives consensus, I'm going to hold that as true regardless of the outcome. Peter's saying no. Peterson is saying no. That depending on what happens in the future, I'll believe if it's true or not. So if, if nuclear energy is beneficial to mankind, then it was good, and I believe it's true. Our, our philosophies, don't forget, guys, he's not saying the, the scientific evidence is not true. He's saying that's correct. Is it true that nuclear energy is beneficial to us? It's only true if it helps humanity in some way. He would call your facts about nuclear energy as correct. Again, it's a, it's a game of words. I agree with you. A lot of you guys are going to be like, hey, that's a game of words. I'm totally on the same boat. I think it's true. It's factually true. Not just pragmatically true. He's saying, look, I only care about pragmatism if it benefits me. Okay, guys, with that said, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'm going to open it up to comments and questions. If you guys want to shoot uh, back and forth, let's have a back and forth. And um, I hope this <laughs> this episode had so much, so, so many people asking for it. I hope it didn't disappoint, you know, because I, I made you guys wait so long. I might have, uh, you know, brought up too high of an expectation. Smarter than you says, Peterson is merely pushing back on science tendencies. Hold on one second. On science tendency to actively exclude subjectivity. He doesn't go as far as to postmodernist. Also, there are several talks between these two that are much better. That's from Smarter Than You. Smarter Than You is saying that Peterson is merely pushing back on science tendency to actively exclude subjectivity. Yeah, he's pushing it back, but that's, that's science's job is to exclude subjectivity as much as possible. The more control a scientific experiment has, the more subjectivity is pushed out. The more subjectivity there is pushed in, the less control you have, the less scientific it is. Science by definition, the scientific method by definition, is trying to exclude subjectivity. So if he's, ex if he's objecting to science, pushing out subjectivity, then he's objecting to science, which I don't think is what, he's, is, is what he's doing. I think what he's trying to say is science can never have a perfect control. Science can never exclude subjectivity totally. And because there is subjectivity, then there is doubt. And he's correct about this. He just, I feel that he didn't word it properly. I feel that he didn't, um, he didn't represent sophistry or I don't think he would equate it as sophistry. I don't think he, I don't think he represented pragmatism as well as Sam Harris represented coherence theory. 
But believe me, there are some pragmatists out there that would be that are very hard to nail to the wall, extremely hard. I think what Peterson is saying is there's always some subjectivity, which is correct, and therefore there's a doubt. And therefore I don't have to believe it if I don't want to. It's correct, but it's not true. He's correct in that position. Okay, what else do we have here? Who is winning the, a fight <laughs> between Peterson and Harris? I don't know. That's a tough one, man. I don't know. How is the official publishing journal for the American Psychology Association trash? Quote, trash. You're truly bright. Okay, you're responding to someone else. Uh, what else we got here? <laughs> okay, we got another super chat here. Coach, who would win in a fight? Socrates or Aristotle in their prime? That's tough to say, you know, Socrates wrestled. I don't know if Aristotle wrestled, but I know Socrates wrestled. Obviously, they weren't, you know, both of them in their prime. I think if I could throw a hat in, uh, another name, Plato. Plato would whip them both, in my opinion, because Plato, you know, they don't know if Plato, Plato was a nickname. They don't know if it's because he had a large forehead or white shoulders, but I think it's because he had wide, white shoulders and he, he was a wrestler. And uh, for some reason, I, from descriptions I got, uh, very little description you have of who, how Plato was. Um, assuming that it's true, uh, he was probably the better wrestler of them all. What's the most accurate method of determining objectivity? That's from Michael Irving. That's a very, very interesting question. I believe it's intuition. Things that are true no matter what. Like for instance, Avicenna's claim, there are many more. There is existence. I don't care if you're in a Time machine slash uh, reality, virtual reality machine, brain in the vat. I don't care what you're, there is existence. Try to argue against that. You can't. There's no subjectivity to it. It's perfectly true. It's that perfect logic we've been looking for. But that is a very profound topic that I think we should leave for another day. You guys are crazy. Oh my God. Was Pythagoras a real person? That's from one foot out the door. Yes, I believe he was a true and real person. It's very difficult to prove because there's so little to go on about it, but he was most definitely, in my opinion, if you ask me, I think for sure he was, because people wrote about him. So I think he was a real person. What are the most accurate methods of determining objectivity? I think I answered that. Oh yes, I did. Okay. All right, guys. Objective truth is agreement of subjective truth. That's from Astro Creek. No, actually, it's not. It's the total opposite. Uh, from Shafiq, Super Chat. Would you recommend a Hansel Gracie affiliate gym <laughs> with a Denahar Black Belt instructor that has no a Nogi option over a gym that had a Chandro Ribeiro Black Belt instructor that has Gi only? I would, rec I would go with the Hansel Gracie instructor, no Gi and Nogi. Shafiq, if you have to ask me, that's 100% where I would go. All right, guys. Let's just do a couple more and then wrap this up. 
Amazing video, coach. Thank you. Uh, that's from Kremitis. Kremitis, I'm happy at least somebody liked it. I hope you guys liked it. Listen, guys, I know a lot of times we talk about MMA, MMA, fitness, training, training, and then we do a little bit of, you know, whatever you want to ask me uh, at the end of videos. That's how I like it. Um, if you guys want to see a video like this, this video would have to get at least 5,000 likes, and I won't do another video like this for at least another, I would say, 20 episodes. Okay, so we'll do these things once in a while. I don't want to get too heavy in this kind of stuff because it's too far from the topic of what we, I usually cover on this channel. This would merit its own separate channel, which I personally don't have the time to do. Maybe one day when I'm retired, I'll sit down with you guys and hang out and talk philosophy. But for now, it's going to be MMA 95% of the time. Okay, we have a super chat. Let me see what it is. Uh, coach okay hold on a second hi coach i'm 23 years old work as a software engineer i've been passionate about mma for for half a year what advice could you give me to make make a career change <laughs> do mma on the side and if you get really into it because you might be on just on the mma honeymoon right now okay you might just be on your mma honeymoon six months is not a long time get into it a little more and then see if you really love it okay don't get tattooed just yet my friend Coach, when are you going to go on Joe Rogan refuting what his Islamophobic keeps spouting? Is Joe Rogan avoiding conversation with you on this? That's from Sam Murad. You know, honestly, I was hoping you would bring up Islam. I was hoping you would bring up Islamophobia. It wasn't my show. I'm not the guy who's going to pick the topic. But I've texted him in the past. I've asked him to bring on uh, Muslim experts, not me. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a, I'm not a scholar in Islam. But I can do way better than everybody else on that show so far. But to bring in, I, I even offered to pay to bring in an expert. I'll pay if there's an expense, though, I'll pay it. Just stop with all this Islamophobia. You know, like, guys, honestly, I go out in the streets sometimes and I get harassed because some guy is listening to some crazy notion about Islam that's 100% untrue. A lot of times it ends up with us having a dialogue and the guy kind of apologizing. But I'll tell you something. It's too much. That's the one reason I honestly, at first, I didn't want to go on the Joe Rogan. Pro I didn't want to go. Everybody kept pushing me. Go on the Rogan program. Go on Joe Rogan. Go on Joe Rogan. I kept getting pushed, 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 pushed. Guys, I'm, uh, you know, if he invites me and I'm there, I'll do it. But I'm not going to fly there. I'm not going to go. And he, he, we kept talking about it. He kept asking. Every time I saw him, he's going to come on my program. And I said eventually yes. And I stayed true to my word. And I did it. But we didn't talk about Islam. Now, does he have a lot of Islamophobic Guest, yes. Would we love to have a dialogue with the Muslim world? Yes, 100%. Because 99.9 .9 of what they're saying is untrue. They're all banking on, and I put Sam Harris on the top of this list. They're banking on what happened in 9-11. They're selling books. They're feeding the fire. And they're creating friction between Muslims and the rest of the world. Guys, Muslims are here to stay, man. We're just like your Mexican friends, your Christian friends, your atheist friends, your, your agnostic friends. We belong in this community like everybody else. We're not more dangerous than anybody else. And a real Muslim is the safest neighbor to have. A real Muslim is the safest neighbor to have. He's going to be the most fair person you'll ever meet if he's a real Muslim. Okay. I would love, man, you guys want to open up, you, like Sam Harris, you think you know the Quran? You want to open it up? You want to crack it open? You want to tell us why you believe what? Show us in the Quran where? He would never do it, guys. I guarantee you any amount. Okay, I can't gamble. It's Ramadan especially. He would never do this. He would never accept cross-examination of his understanding of the Quran. Never with an Islamic scholar. He'll never accept it. Listen, we've proposed it to him in the past. He'll never accept it. I promise you this. Never. He'll never accept it. 
He'll never accept it. Why? Because maybe his books will stop selling. I don't know. He will never accept it. Now, Joe only, ha I think Joe's an honest guy, but he only has these Islamophobes on his show. He's never had an honest Muslim. Never. I've asked him myself, guys, I, I'm telling you, I've asked him. Well, yeah, he's like, yeah, it's a good idea. Let's do it. Yeah, okay. Let's do it. When? When can I do it? You know, it just never went further than that. But definitely, I think it's something that, because the thing is, here, here's the thing. Rogan is the Oprah for men. He's the Oprah for men. So what happens is you get a lot of these young kids and these people, they have so many faulty ideas about Islam and other religions as well. Why don't you have a rabbi on? Why don't you have a Christian scholar on? Why don't you have a Muslim scholar on? You guys are always talking about Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. You're always talking about it, but you never have a subject matter expert. Why? It's like if I'm talking about you know a topic all the time on the show, all the time, but I never bring on a subject matter expert. That's so unfair. You're attacking a group that's not there to defend themselves. Everybody will agree that's unfair. Bring us, bring a scholar, bring somebody on. Listen, I'll bring on anybody, any I'll bring on, I have a guy in, in mind that I will bring on. I'll bring him bring out Muhammad Hijab. Bring him and bring the most biggest Islamophobe. Bring the biggest Islamophobe and I'll fly out Muhammad Hijab. I'll pay all this expensive, put him on the air, and let's see. Break open the Quran. Where does it say to kill everybody? Where does it say we should blow people up or does it say 90 listen 99% of 99.9% .9 of Islamic scholars totally condemn the actions of extremist groups totally condemned like totally they write books about it they listen I've, I've been to mosques all over the world okay they 100% condemn it why can't we get one voice on the Rogan show he's so powerful he's so influential he's turned people now to like Listen, I'll tell you guys, I'm a Muslim. I fly around, I travel. I get a lot of hate sometimes, especially on the internet too. I get a lot of hate. And I could be a, listen, I could become a million, uh, listen, I could become so rich tomorrow if I just start writing anti-Islamic books. I could just, oh man, the evangelicals would fund me, the atheists would fund me. They would love, listen, I would never do it. But that's what these guys are doing. That's what these guys, they're making bank, money, Masari. If they were really honest about their position, why don't they have a dialogue? They refuse dialogue. They only dialogue with guys they have in their pocket that they know are safe as a safe dialogue. Man, I think Sam Harris would get twisted in a knot. He's completely wrong. He's completely wrong. He's so full of hate. He's so full of anger. He's so full of... Okay. You know what? Let me see. Hold on one second here. Let me see what... It makes your photograph... Hold on. Let me pause this. Hold on. Let's see here. Let's see if I can make a point to you guys. Okay. Okay. All right. Sam Harris was giving. I told you guys I listened to his Google talk, right? I listened to his Google talk. And in his Google talk, he showed a picture of extremist Muslims. He's like, oh, look at these Muslims. This can't be morality, he says. Okay. This was his argument. What a, what a snake. Honestly, he's such a snake. He's a real snake in the grass, this guy. So look. Okay. Let's go see Iraq. Okay. Let's go fast forward. Let's go to Iraq. These are people... My first impressions, these are people who went to Iraq. So he's saying, look, these Muslims are crazy. Look what they do. Look at this picture. He put the most extremist. I, I could do that with Christianity. I could do that with atheists. Imagine I said, look at atheists. And I put a picture of some atheists. I put a picture of, of, of Stalin. <laughs> Imagine. I'm like, look at these atheists. They're butchering people. I could do the same thing with atheism. Let's look at Iraq. He's talking, he, was talking, he was talking bad about Iraq. Let's take a look at Iraq. Hey, say hello. 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 
This is a rock, guys. Look how evil. What an evil place. Such bad people here. Alright, let's have a look at Iraq. I have never watched this video, by the way. I just clicked on any video. We want to say a big thank you to Trade for sponsoring another episode. If you want to learn how you can get... The museum took us under his wing and told us a little bit of history about Kurdistan. Oh, wow. So... Look, you hear the adhan in the background. This guy's eating donuts in a Iraqi shop. I'm sure he's about to get gunned down here in a moment. Guys, uh, please, uh, viewer, uh, viewer's discretion is advised. I'm sure they're going to grab him right now, put him in a headlock and cut his throat. And there's going to be a lot of violence. Just wait for it. I'm sure it's going to happen. Sam Harris assured me. I think they're frying him up in the grease here. And then he just lets him soak in this big vat of liquid sugar. Oh, I'm sure there's dynamite in that tray. It's probably a hidden, of course, but I'm sure there's some explosion that's going to happen any minute now. Please, uh, viewer's discretion is advised. I guess he's going to sell them in the streets. This is seriously like the best donut that I've ever had. That nice crunchy outside and then when you bite into it, like the sugary syrup just like goes. You guys are thinking like me that the donut must be poisoned. Obviously the donut is poisoned. This guy's going to be dead in a few in a few hours. Everywhere. We walked by this place and literally Nate just walked in and the guy handed him one. We haven't asked what it's called, how much it costs. Everyone's super nice in here. Can I pay you? Everyone is super what? nice not possible these this is you hear the adhan in the background you know it's a it's a muslim country something's gonna happen now they're gonna they're gonna cut somebody's head off something's gonna happen can i pay you i literally have sticky he gave it to him for free Balash. syrup on my shoe on my pants it's just it's gone everywhere those guys were so nice i, I tried to pay for it and they wouldn't let me seriously all morning as we've been like walking around for the past hour the people here have been that's the hospitality you can uh, get used to in the in the middle east okay they're very hospitable people they're the sweetest kindest most gentle people listen if you go in a muslim country and you commit a crime if you go and you steal a donut that's a different story if you go and you beat somebody up in the street if you go and you spray paint somebody's car if you go and you i don't know man uh, if you go and you you pee in, the, in publicly Yes, you're going to find some trouble, guys. No doubt about it. They're not doormats in the Middle East. They have a respect. I respect you. You respect me. There's no question that you can find trouble if you're looking for it. But if you're a regular Joe walking down the street, you're in the safest place possible. Nobody's going to pickpocket you. You're much safer than you are in America. Let me tell you. I just came from Atlantic City. Let me tell you something. I went to rent a bicycle. Atlantic City, guys, if you guys have never been to Atlantic City, it's a very tough place. Very ghetto. Man. Very ghetto. I walked maybe five blocks from my hotel. I went to rent a bike. Dude, I got scared. I got scared. I'm like, man, there's all these gangs, like these guys hanging around the bike shop. I went in, like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be judgmental, but guys with tattoos on their face. I was like, wow, what a rough, rough neighborhood here. And the guys were drunk. Some of them were drunk. Some of them were on other things. I don't know. They were intoxicated. I rented a bike and the guy told me, he goes, don't let the bike out of your sight for one second. It'll be gone. Don't leave the bike anywhere. Not even for one second. I said, no, no problem. Then I took the bike. He warned me again. He's like, the bike will get stolen. Be careful. 
Now, I just gave the guy 20 bucks for the bike for, uh, no, was it 20 bucks? I gave him 20 bucks for four hours. The guy didn't even take a security deposit. He just picked up a bike. He's like, yeah, I'll rent you a bike. He just... And I rode around that bike. I came back after like, I went for a three-hour bike ride. Came back, gave him back the bike. Guys, I jogged back to the hotel. You know why I jogged back to the hotel? Because it was such a rough neighborhood. I was like, man, I don't know what the code of, I don't know if I'm wearing the right colors or not. Luckily, I am mostly dressed in black. But I was like, wow, man, this place is so such a rough neighborhood. Every corner, there was like a guy who was like, like either drinking or like like just like eyeballing me like who are you they could obviously tell i'm not from this neighborhood i don't know how they know but i just started i was like you know what maybe they don't bother me if i'm jogging i just jog back to my hotel i've been all over the world okay now there are many great places in america where you feel safe and sound and it's beautiful and it's clean and the people are ultra friendly and there are places which are more tough i'm assuming it's the same truth around the world but i guarantee you i've been in the middle east the people are as nice as they can come they you can't get people that are nicer they're, they're very sweet, kind, and you know what? They're all Muslim. Let's see whatever. I'm sure he gets beheaded sooner or later in this video. This is the heart of Iraq here. So incredibly nice. We've had people go out of their way. Like, I think they're just curious. We obviously stick out like a sore thumb. We've had people just go out of their way to walk by and say hello. Like, they'll pass us once and then realize that we don't belong, and they'll make it another circle just so they can walk by and, like, wave at us, and it's so nice. This is so true. When you go to the Middle East, if you're a Westerner, they're so interested about you. They haven't seen Westerners before. So he's saying, look, they do a circle. They want to just see us again. They want to say hello. They want to talk to you one word that they know in English. They're so sweet. They're so kind. They have an innocence to them. They really do. Like they're, they're not used to what we're bombarded with in the media. So when they see uh, something like this, it's, it's just uh, it's fascinating to them. And about five seconds before we walked into that bakery, we walked by a street vendor, you know, the kind that normally annoy you and try to get you to come buy something. He tried to give me a pair of his sunglasses that he was selling. And then he just wanted a picture. <laughs> Who does that? The people. A merchant, you know, merchants, if you go in third world countries, they're always harassing you. Come by, come by, come by. They, they hustle. They, 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 they haggle. They put things. Oh, if you look at something, I don't, I don't want to name the country, but there's certain countries. If I look at something, oh, you like that? They put it in a bag, sold. It's like, dude, I didn't say I wanted it. I was just looking at it. No, no, no. Here it's sold. You have to buy it. You have to buy it. There are some countries that, you know, the, the economy is based like this. They're really pushy. Now, this girl's obviously, she's an experienced traveler. She knows this. She's like, no, he came and he gave me. He gave her. This is Arabian Muslim hospitality. Just like, I think we're finding more and more when you go to places that don't normally get tourists, like the kindness of humans come out. Hey guys, I'm, I'm going to skip to the beheading part. Hopefully it comes up soon. Oh, his, his head is still on his shoulders. This is very strange, but let's see. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really cool setup and we were like no thank you and he was like okay and then he poured us two cups <laughs> we made it to a more touisty area of town that wasn't just like a hospitable gesture he wanted yeah it's the first this. time something like that has happened 
This is like the place to be though. It seems like everybody in the city is just hanging out in the square. There's also like a sad part of it though. There's a bunch of children walking around selling. Okay, so they got hustled for $2 coffees. They said no to the coffee. The guy poured it anyway and they ended up paying him two bucks. I don't know if the guy insisted on it. Maybe he was just giving it to them. Maybe they misinterpreted. I'm not sure, but they did get hustled for two American dollars. This, I have to give it to you. This is true. They got hustled. Things like chewing gum. And you can just tell that they've been told like not to take no for an answer. So yeah. they just follow you around holding chewing gum. And it's just heartbreaking. Like whether they need the money or not, or if it's going to their parents, like no matter what the reason is, it's sad to me that there are kids who are being forced to do that. <clears throat> that brings us to another topic. Are, was Were the Iraqis better off before the U.S. invaded or now? That's a sticky topic. We're not going to have time for that today. But there are there, there is a lot of harm that came to Iraq. Now, there's a lot of poverty, obviously. There was always poverty in Iraq, but from what I hear nowadays, it's worse. Still no beheading. Photograph. Hello. Hello. So we actually got lost in the industrial area of town. Okay, they're lost now. They must get beheaded now. This is this has got to happen right now. This is it. <laughs> and now we made some friends and we're having tea with them on the side of the road. <laughs> this is great. I think we're at a shop that sells adhesive. Okay, so they got lost and they ended up finding some friends having tea. Now, this is an Islamic country you guys heard about. You guys heard about Iraq. You guys heard about Iraq to no end. It's the most evil place in the world. They're responsible for 9-11. These people have nothing to do with that. Listen, I've traveled the world, man. The vast majority of people are good. Sam Harris is always harping on it. You know why? Cost makes him money. That's the truth. I feel like uh, Rogan is like living in an alternate universe because all he has is Sam Harris-like type dudes on his show. He needs to balance it out or have us have one guy and a Muslim hater. Uh, like he had that, that what's that girl's name? That the, the girl from Africa. She was like, she's very anti-Muslim. I forget her name. And she was on there and saying, oh, Muslims this, Muslims that. She was a victim. I feel sorry for her. She was a victim of female circumcision. Now, it has nothing to do with Islam. <laughs> Female circumcision has nothing. It doesn't exist in Islam. It exists in some Muslim countries, mostly in Christian countries, but it has nothing to do with Islamic tradition. That's an African thing. That's an African thing. It's a cultural thing. It has nothing to do with the religion. And she's there and she's like, Islam is so this, Islam is so that. It's like, dude, what are you saying? First of all, she's, she's so pro-Western values. The Western values that you're loving so much, what did they do to the? What did they do to your country? I don't know if you remember the trans, the the transatlantic slave trade. You have nothing to say about that. You have no objections to say about that. You have nothing to say about equality in America today. You have no, that. You have nothing to say for. Okay, Islam was a religion that started by slaves. Yes, Muhammad was not a slave, but his original followers were slaves. It's so pro-slave. It, it, when Islam came to be, slavery already existed. Islam made slavery uh, more and more uh, inaccessible to Muslims. You couldn't raid. And Islam made raiding for slaves illegal. But now you can only have POWs. A POW can become a slave. Because what's the, what's the greater of the two evils? Killing him. Either I kill you or I make you a, a captive. I don't want to kill you. What's the lesser of the two evils? Captive. 
Okay, and there's so many rules like to to having a, a captive in Islam. They have to eat the same foods you do. They have the right to request their leave. They have the right to be ransomed by their family members. There's no harming a, a captive or slash slave. Compare that with what happens with Guantanamo Bay. Look at what happens. Look at what people when they leave Guantanamo Bay today. Even today in our present day, they write about the atrocities they had. What happened in, in the in the Desert Storm? What happened in Guantanamo Bay? How did, how the the military abused the POWs? Would you say that oh America is so bad? No, these are just a bunch of cowboys that went out, got out of line, and they broke the law. There are so there's so much to know about Islam, but he always has Islamic haters. Islam, and guys, I'm I'm giving it time because this is Ramadan now. This is the worst time to hate on Islam. It's the worst. This is our sacred month. It would be like attacking Christians on on their Christmas holiday. It's just completely wrong. They have so much anti-Islamic propaganda that it's like a full-time job for non for for non-islamic apologists just regular muslims to just kind of like tell people look that's not what we're not told to kill we're not told to kill 24 hours a day here's a couple who went on a tour in iraq listen i just typed in iraq visiting iraq i knew you would find i knew it would be positive i knew why because i know iraqis i know that the middle east they're the sweetest kindest human beings you can meet they are so generous and they're poor a lot of them are poor and they'll give you the shirt off their back don't compare them to us in the West. In the West, we're far more selfish, self-centered, egotistical, far more than they are, far more. We're, we're really uh, out of control when we're criticizing them. Yes, there's a lot of politics, but guys, that runs deep. I'd love to bring a historian on, uh, 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 somebody who's an expert, anybody out there, an expert in Middle East history. I'd love to have a guest on the show. It's going to happen soon. Sooner or later, I must do it. <sighs> All right, guys. With that said, <laughs> yes, I'd love to set Joe Rogan straight in a nice way. I think he would I think he would be a very honest guy. I think he lends an open, honest ear. He told me he'd be interested in it. I offered it to him. Hopefully uh, it materializes because I don't care what you've heard. There is always more to the story. There's always a context. There's always listen, there are people who are not Muslims that study Islam. They're called Orientalists. They have a PhD in Islam. 95% of them have only positive things to say about Islam. Islam was a good thing. Islam brought civilization to the Middle East. Islam spread peace around the world. Islam had brilliant laws that helped mold civilization. It definitely influenced history. Nobody's more influential than Islam. Nobody in history. Okay, and There's a book written by Michael Hart. The, number, the 100 most influential people in history. The 100 most influential people in history. Number one. Is number one is Muhammad. Number two is Sir Isaac Newton. Number three is Jesus Christ. Number four is Buddha, and number five is Confucius. Number one is Islam. It's incredibly influential. Yes, 9/11 was a horrible thing, but the propaganda, the millions these guys are making, these guys are just making bank. Their views are not academic. They wouldn't hold up to academic scrutiny. This is my challenge to the these Islamophobes. How to tackle extremism in the name of Islam? That's from Vipin. Very good answer. Very good question. Listen, every group has a right-wing problem. Now, I'm going to tell you guys something, but don't fall out of your chair. Okay? Don't fall out of your chair. Hold on tight, because when I say it to you, you're going to fall. I'm telling you, you're going to be like, it's not possible. The coach will never say such a thing. Hold on tight. If you're standing up, please sit down. Guys, I am a feminist. 
I'm a feminist. I believe women, I believe, obviously I'm a feminist. I believe women should have rights and they should be protected, should be taken care of. I believe a, a female is just as valuable as a human male, as a, as a male, okay? I just think, I don't like, I don't like extreme right-wing feminists. Even the feminists have a right-wing problem. Some women out there believe that women are superior to men. I think those women are out to lunch. I think they're crazy. I think, listen, I've met them. I've met them personally. And, uh, you know, there's nothing. It's, it's one of the things that irks me the most is an extremist feminist. Now, do I think all feminists are like that? No, man. Listen, feminists, and a lot of times people use the word feminism to, to blanket all feminists. It's not true. Feminism is a reaction for men treating their women horribly. Throughout history, men have been very bad to women. There was a need for feminism. There was a definite need for feminism. Women didn't have it easy throughout history. And they're just as equally as important as men for the success of history. The success of man throughout history is just as attributed to women as it is to men. We were all born from a woman. We were all, most of us were raised by women. Nowadays, I have to say most too, but back in the day, all the great leaders, all the great champions, they were all raised by a woman. But even that group has an extreme right-wing fringe group. It's true of every... I could find you a, a fringe Buddhist. I could find you even in Jainism. In Jainism, they have extremist Jains. If you guys don't know, Jainism is all about not... not it's a complex religion, but one tenant they have is do no harm to any living thing whatsoever. So some Jains don't believe you should purify water. I shouldn't put chlorine in water. I should not boil water. You're killing the organisms. Well, if I don't boil water, guess what? I'm going to poison. Many human beings are going to die. Not, not purifying water would lead to more death. Something has to die. Life depends on death. In one way or another, guys, like it or not. I don't care how, it, how much of a, of a Janist you are. Something somewhere at some time has to die. If you scratch yourself, you might have killed some bacteria that lives on your skin. What if you have a deadly uh, virus and you take antibiotics? Well, you're killing that virus. You're killing life. There's no extremists. There's, excuse me, there's no group without some extremist branch. What we got to do is we got to debate with them. We got to argue. You know what Sam Harris should have done? Sam Harris should have done what Juan Cole does. He should have said, look, ISIS, that's not Islam. Look, 99% of the scholars are saying that's not Islam. They're totally disagreeing. Look what the Quran says. There's no compulsion in religion. And the Quran, it says, if you kill one human, one human being, listen to the Quran, what it says. It says, if you kill an innocent person, if you kill one innocent person, it's like you killed all of humanity. In the Quran, it says explicitly, it's not something that you have to connect the dots. No, no, it's telling you explicitly. If you kill one innocent person, it's like you killed all of humanity. Like you'll never smell the fragrance of paradise. Like you did the most evil thing. Don't you dare ever kill an innocent person. If Sam Harris said that, he said, look, that's so unquranic. ISIS, you're so bad, man. How dare you? go against this explicit verse how dare you it's white and black in the quran you cannot kill a single innocent person if he took that stance he just wouldn't have sold a lot of books he would have been right he would have been honest but he wouldn't have made a lot of money he wouldn't have been as famous as he is today what made him more famous is that he said such provocative insulting vulgar things that created a rise out of the muslim people 
and created a rise out of people who hate Islam because Islam is a competitive. They seek Islam as a competitive civilization. They're they're being pragmatic, just like just how we didn't like how Jordan was twisting the truth just to fit what he wants. You're being pragmatic. Look, it benefits me that Islam is bad because I'm from another civilization. They're trying to gain resources from me, so I'm going to scapegoat them. How many of us think like that? Be honest. You see somebody, and just because hey, those people are going out in the world. And they're trying to get resources just like me. I'm going to paint them with a brush that puts them in a negative light. So many people do that. It's dishonest. It's disingenuous. And I'll give you a perfect example of this. One that's going to be very hard to refute. Sam Harris, many, 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 many years ago, I'm granting it that it's a very, very old footage. He went on stage and I think he was doing a, maybe it was like a TED talk or something. And he said, look, Muslims, they're violent. If you tell them, about the Virgin Mary. If you tell them the Virgin Mary, if Mary's a virgin, they'll kill you. We're like, what? 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 Then he said, oh, I misspoke. And misspeaking, misspeaking, <laughs> mis it happens all the time. It happens to me. It happens to everybody. But that one talk, he said like three, four factual things that were completely incorrect. It tells me that he went on a site <laughs> that's like propaganda and he just kind of took some cliff notes and he didn't research it because at one point he was like, oh, Jesus slay, it says slay them before me. Who doesn't want me as king? Slay them before me. If you read the context, he's talking about a parable. Now it's, it's debatable what he's saying in that context, but like this is not the right verse to bring out. There are, this is not clear cut. He misspoke again. Like he misspoke like two, three times. It just shows you that before he became an expert in religion, a so-called expert because he's not an expert in religion he was already at that position he already had that stance this is my point okay please don't misunderstand my point i'm not i'm not going after him because he misspoke i know he took back his words i know he he, he admitted he was wrong and I, and I and i congratulate him for that my point is that look he already had a paradigm he was already coming with hey religion is like horrible it's evil here's the irony of it all here's the irony of it all Sam Harris would not exist if it wasn't for religion. Please, anybody want to debate me on this point, I'm more than willing to take it up. The Jews, if you know the history of the Jews, and I'm assuming Sam Harris is Jewish, they would have not survived if it wasn't for the Torah. If it wasn't for the Tanakh, their scripture, they would have never survived. These, this, these people fought tooth and nail to keep their religion. And they survived generation after generation even though they were actively persecuted by the Babylonians, the Romans, the Persians, every generation was persecuted, almost every generation. And they survived. And Sam Harris came to be because of these survivors. And they survived only because of their religion. Their religion held them united. The Jewish people would never exist today. They would have been eradicated. Even the Egyptians, there's even Egyptian hieroglyphics no joke. There's Egyptian hieroglyphics claiming that they eradicated the children of Israel, which they did it, obviously, because they're still here. <clears throat> Fingers crossed. Joe Rogan <laughs> discusses Islam with an expert. You are the man, coach. You already have a good relationship, so he will be very receptive. Please bring it up next time. Thank you, Sam. That's appreciated. But my, my point is this. My point is this. We can use propaganda to make any group hated. Didn't they do that to the Jews in World War II, 1940s? Of course they did, 1930s. Would anybody dare say, and by the way, 
Hitler was saying it was scientific. It's all scientific and proven and logical. His arguments were all scientific. I dare anybody now to try to revive one of his arguments. You would get stepped on in social media. You would get barred. You would get hated on so much. And this is what's going to happen in the future, guys. The pendulum always swings. One day, Muslims are going to be able to walk out on the street and nobody's going to even dare say one thing to them. Why? Because of all the persecution we're going to have survived. Uh, it's going to backfire on Sam Harris. It's going nowhere. The new generation, the generation X, Y, and the new generation Z especially. We grew up with mixed race and religion, guys. You're trying to divide these, these next generation. They love each other. They're not going to care anymore. They're not going to care about these ideas anymore. You guys are living in the Stone Age. These kids coming up, they're all friends on the internet. They're all playing video games together on the internet. They're all best friends. They're neighbors from a different background. They don't care. And the irony of it all is that Sam Harris wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for religion. And here's the other thing. He wouldn't know anything about morality if it wasn't for religion. He, all these things that thou shall not kill, thou shall not steal, thou shall not lie, thou shall not covet thy neighbor's wife. All these laws, where do you think they come from, Mr. Harris? You think you dreamt them up logically? I listened to your Google talk. It was weak. Your, your proofs were daif. They were weak. They were nonsensical. Nietzsche would have stepped on you, sir. Nietzsche would have crushed you. You didn't answer any of the classical objections. Any, not one. All you did was show some weak brain scans and try to correlate them to morality. It doesn't work that way, sir. Morality doesn't work that way. Sam Harris has not understood the problem of morality. Morality comes, this is basic Plato, from God, period. If you have a deep moral belief, if you have a belief in morality, it exists within. Like Kant said, I see the starry starry skies above me and the moral law within me i can't deny it there's a moral law when i see something i see it as evil how did it come to be how did matter become moral how did matter become moral this is a very very profound question it cannot be that morality exists without god we keep waiting for sam to give us the answer that he keeps promising us he never does he never does. He never gives us morality without God. Yet he claims he believes morality is objectively true, which in my opinion makes him an in-the-closet theist. He believes in God, but he's in the closet about it. Listen, I believe, I guess I'm predicting to you, in the near future, Sam is going to come on and say, look, I believe in God. I, I, this is my prediction to you. He's going to beat around the bush. He's going to beat this dead horse. And this horse, this horse is going to be dead for millennia. For th it's going to feel like millennia to him. It's going to feel like forever. And he's going to be trying to revive it. And he's going to be, at the end of the day, he's going to be like, I can't do it. You know what? I understand what you guys have been saying for thousands of years. This moral law within me. Again, guys, this is Kant. Kant was a professional logician. This moral law within me cannot be, it cannot exist without God. God exists. I have a moral law within me, therefore God exists. I can't get away from it. The only thing, the only way that this world can be moral is if a God exists. Guys, read Euthyphro. It's the most basic version of this argument. It's super simple. It's by Plato, the Euthyphro. Everybody should read the Euthyphro. It's the most basic introductory book to logic and it starts with morality. Sam Harris has never proven morality objectively. There's only one way to know it and that's intuition. Intuition necessitates God. Period. Everything. This is a, I'll give. I'll leave you guys with a statement, but I won't. I will not explain it too far. Okay, because it's just too hard to explain. Kant told us, look, everything that lived, everything that we, all the ideas we have in our head, 
they went through the senses. So you know the color red, you experience color red. You know you have the idea of sweet, you tasted something sweet. A baby never knew anything about sweet, never knew anything about sweet till we gave him this first taste of uh, chocolate, let's say. Now he has in his mind the experience of sweet. Now he could think about sweetness. And this is what John Locke called the tabula rasa. You're born a blank slate. Everything in your mind existed out there in the world. It went through your senses. And now we write it on this little white page, this virgin page, this tabula rasa, this clean slate of this clean canvas. It's a brand new canvas. Now Kant told John Locke, you're right, except everything in our heads is from the outside it went through the senses its experience except for the tabula rasa itself and as a matter of fact i'm telling you that your whole existence is tabula rasa this consciousness not the contents of consciousness consciousness itself and i'm telling you even your identity is within this consciousness and this consciousness encompasses everything there is nothing outside this consciousness. Not your physics, not your logic, not your perspectives, not your subjectivity, your objectivity. It's all nested in the tabula rasa. And this tab your idea of tabula rasa is nested in this one thing. And that's irrefutable. Why is it irrefutable? Because we know it directly. I don't have a mediator between me and this conscious experience. I'm not using logic. You know, we said logic is fallible. I'm not using logic to get to it either. It's experienced directly. Okay, guys. With that said, we have another super chat. Coach, how do you and Islam view prayer? Do you believe God intervened directly in our lives or are you doing it solely to praise God? That's from Jared Pierce. Okay, guys. Here, here's, here's a little something about prayer. Okay, Prayer, if you're doing it right, should be the greatest feeling in the world. Nobody should have to tell you to do it. You should do it because you want to do it. It feels incredible. Why? Listen, the word prayer in Arabic, it comes from the word connection. It comes from the word connection. Okay. Now look, 99% of people who pray, I pray, okay, I pray every day, but I don't pray like 99% of the people. I pray completely differently. I do the same rituals, but it's totally that what's going on inside is totally different. Okay, now you see Muslims when they do uh, when they start their prayer, they say they say God is the greatest. They say Allahu Akbar. Why do they do this motion? This motion is the, we're taught that you're taking the whole world, the dunya. We call it the dunya, the whole visible world, everything you could see, taste, touch, and smell, and you're throwing it behind you. This is a this is a appropriate topic because we are in the last few days of Ramadan. Okay, this is the last week of Ramadan, guys. I'm telling you, I'm feeling it. My body's like it's hurting like uh, i'm training and doing ramadan is tough when you say the takbir when you say the Allah Akbar, when you start your prayer you have to think of nothing now that's it not your mortgage your wife your kids nothing not your likes your dislikes not even your physical body should be there anymore that's part of the what we call the dunya the world of appearances the whole world of appearances chuck it behind you that's literally the significance of the motion chuck it What's the only thing left? Well, if you... What's the difference between me and that pile of rocks over there? I'm an object. There's an object. You know, Schopenhauer says, look, there are objects in the universe. My body is just another physical object in the universe bouncing around, but there's something different. There's this internal experience in this particular object. I'm experiencing this particular object from a first-person experience. There's this inner world. 
There's this internal world. This is internal experience. When you pray, you're supposed to chuck the external world and just connect. In the internal world is a gem. There's a gem. We have. We believe there's a what we call them Islam. It's appropriate to talk about Islam this month because it's Ramadan. Okay. We believe in something called the fitra. You have the innate belief in God. It's innate. It's in there within you. When you chuck the world, you you just don't see it because you're so distracted with the world. You're so fascinated with all these people twerking on the internet and putting up their pictures and they're doing all sorts of craziness. They're doing ice bucket challenge and all. all uh, I'm, I know I'm pulling out things from from a long time ago. They're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. It's distracting you. Hey, take a minute out of your day and chuck it all and connect with what's happening inside. And even your personality, you have to chuck it. Even your ego, your, your, you know, we call this ego dissolution. Even your perception of who you are, that's your logic. That's your, that's, that's also subjective. Chuck it, chuck everything. Chuck, 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 throw it all until there's nothing left. And then when there's that nothing left, now you're really, truly praying. Okay. Now you're really reached a realm where you're truly praying. And it's a, it's a, it's a pleasurable experience. It's not one of uh, difficulty. So it's no longer a chore, it's a joy. And from there, you can have a tremendous um, paradigm shift because you'll realize that the whole world you experience is always due to this one point. So basically, what I'm telling you is you're reducing yourself to a point of awareness. There is a point of awareness. Now, I'm saying there is a point of awareness chuck everything before the word awareness the only reason i use those words is just so i can point you in a direction there is has to be chucked a point has to be chucked everything's got to be chucked throw it out there's one thing left now i can tell you about all day long it'll never it'll never conclude to anything until you experience it yourself okay so this is the essence of religion this is the religion you were born with nobody needs to tell me about this religion i was born with it i know it firsthand Somebody had to remind us of it. That's it. It's that simple. Okay, guys, with that said, I have one last super chat. Let me see if I can bang it off with one last comment or question. Mike Sinatra, would you ever do an episode where you explain the dynamics between male and female relationships? I feel like there has been a battle between the two sexes between the last 10 years. That's from Mike Sinatra. Mike, I would do an episode on that, uh, but this episode would have to get... 10,000 likes for me to do an episode like that, which I don't think we'll ever get. It would have to be a, something I do in the distance future. If this episode gets a 5,000 likes, I'll do another episode on philosophy. If you guys put in the comment section that you wanted about men and women, because I got a crazy philosophy on men and women. Crazy, guys. Will get me in a lot of trouble. I made a video about, I, I just mentioned the fact that I don't roll with women and people went berserk on me. But I got far more sophisticated views than that. If you guys want to talk about it, I'd be happy to. Uh, but it has to be something this community wants, okay? But the next 10 episodes, guys, are going to be MMA, fitness, training. I'm not going to be doing any of this. And once in a while, throw you guys a curveball just so we're not meatheads. You know, they don't say we're meatheads. And we'll, we'll do a fun discussion, which I think, guys, even if you don't like it, this kind of stuff will serve you in the future. I promise you. I promise you, guys, this kind of stuff will serve you in the future without any doubt. Are you interested in Martin Heidinger? He tries to avoid solipsism by starting not at the individual ego and working out to society, but starting at the level of society and showing how we become individuals appeals to me. Zach, I'm actually a big fan of Heidegger in, a, in a one particular way, and I'm not a fan in another. Okay, So he's a very interesting character. He's worded things in a very uh, original way. 
I love how he says, he says, look, we're constantly, we're constantly thinking about the future while dragging with us the past. He defines the human condition as such. He's saying, look, the human is like the slice in the middle. Your present moment is this weird slice where you're dragging everything you've had happen to you in the past and you're projecting that into the future and you're living in this weird middle ground where you're constantly thinking of the future and the past together. This, this part of his philosophy really intrigued me and he got me thinking about the present moment in a very new way. And he has some very other interesting uh, components to his philosophy, which I really admire, and some that I didn't like as much. But this will be a topic for another day. I would love to talk about Heidinger another day. But we've been going on for two hours and 15 minutes. And I want to end it on that beautiful comment that you made. But this was one of the intricacies that I found was the best. And for him saying, uh, starting from society to go to the individual, I think was completely wrong. I think it's the other way around. We are all nested in this one awareness it's not the other way around because here's the thing he falls for and uh, I, I know i end up talking for another half hour he falls for a major error okay there's a major error in, in, in materialist philosophy which i'm not saying is a materialist philosopher but he fell in the same error he's reducing it backwards it all ends up to the nucleus the nucleus is awareness take away awareness we know nothing about society so this is me giving you two in a nutshell one day i'll elaborate more what came first, society or awareness? Awareness. And he, his problem is he's presupposing my awareness is different than yours. Okay, He has to reread his Schopenhauer. He has to reread his Averroes, Ibn Rushd. It's not necessarily the case that the awareness that I have supposedly behind my eyeballs, which I don't think it's located there. Okay, I don't think so at all. In our day and age, pop culture, we all think it's behind our eyeballs. That's where your your mind is, behind your eyeballs, between your ears. It's not where that mind is, but whatever. He's presupposing, and none of the work, by the way, he's super hard to read, but none of the work I've come across, he actually addresses this. He's presupposing that we're experiencing it from this one point of view. He never gets to the point, like Schopenhauer, he says, look, there's only, for Schopenhauer, there's only one will. Let me use the word mind now because I haven't talked about will. And There's only one mind. There's only one awareness. This is not how Schopenhauer, I just want to make a little uh, tangent here. That's not how Schopenhauer words it. He uses will. And there's a reason for that. But I didn't use will. But what, what I mean by mind and awareness, he would probably equivocate to will. Not exactly, but very close to that. That inner experience. Let's just call that inner experience. That inner experience, that awareness, that point of awareness which we already chucked out the word point again this is the weaknesses of language that's why i have to do it this way in my opinion comes first and is more fundamental than anything else so he can't start anywhere else that's why i feel he has to reorganize his uh, thoughts but his 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 description of the human experience i thought was in many ways fascinating guys with that said thank you very much and i will see you all in the next episode